we are on air for Fan for Racing Radio this Thursday. And uh, today we're going to be previewing the Atlanta NASCAR weekend, as well as our Hot Topic Sound Off later on in the episode. Joining me for today's show is our co-host, Brian Epperly. Welcome to the show, Brian. Hey, Sharon. Happy Thursday. How's it going? It's going great. Uh, Thank you so much for filling in for Jay while uh, he takes care of some other business. And uh, we really appreciate you stepping up for that. Yes, of course. I'll do my best to be maybe half as good as he is. I feel like he's always really good at this. So I don't think he can be topped, but if I can get anywhere close, I think I'll be happy. Oh, I think you'll be just fine, Brian. Uh, We are going to wing it a little bit today. Normally we have news and notes to work with, and they're not out yet. So we're going to kind of do a modified version today, but that's okay. I think we'll be just fine. Uh, What we're going to do is start out with our short track races and news, uh, then we'll do our updates, really, for the Arkham Menards East and West. Series. They're not racing this weekend, but there are some news stories and uh, different things we can touch on there, as well as their upcoming races. And then after that, at the top of the hour, we'll start with the NASCAR Truck Series, go to the Xfinity Series, and then conclude with the Cup Series uh, opening. Uh, actually, it's not an opener race, but uh, we'll, then it will, it's the second race for all three series. And uh, we'll go ahead and preview those races from Atlanta that are coming up. Uh, Then, when we get that finished, it's time for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. It sounds like you might have to leave for a few minutes there. Uh, And uh, we'll have some other folks on for Hot Topic Sound Off to talk about all those hot topics. Yeah, an exciting show on tap, a lot to cover. It's great to have the season back. I think we're all excited to get it going, obviously. Hopefully uh, it doesn't look like there's going to be rain impacting this weekend, so I think uh, everyone from fans and competitors will be excited about that. Absolutely, absolutely. But I, I will say, I do think that last week NASCAR did a great job of kind of keeping fans – Well, let me say not keeping fans waiting a long time for their decision. Uh, They knew that there was a lot of rain in the forecast. They knew that they probably couldn't get those races in. And they let fans know ahead of time so that they could get on with their weekend and prepare for Monday's uh, viewing experience. Yes, I fully do agree with that. I think it was almost maybe the best kind of rain you could have where it was going to be such a washout. There was no point in waiting around for a window. Um, I think we've all been there where you're at the track and you're just kind of waiting all day, hoping, 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 and then you don't get to see a race or be part of a race. So I think at least the forecast was in their favor for rain with, hey, it's going to rain all day. Let's call this and let, you know, teams and fans have their Sunday and, and go about it however they could. I think great call to move the ARCA race up and not keep those teams sitting around in Daytona with additional additional costs with lower budgets of those teams for a couple of days. So obviously really late night, not sure how many people stayed up to see the end of that crazy Arca race, but I think that was the right call given the situation. And yeah, nobody wanted to see as much of the opening weekend be impacted as it was. But I think, you know, with what they had, I think they did absolutely the best that they could have to still get the races in and try to be, you know, make the decisions as early as, as humanly possible. 
You know, I think it also worked in their favor to move that Xfinity race up to uh, after the Cup Series race because so many people are working during the day on Monday, they wouldn't have had a chance to watch it. And by moving it up to after the Cup Series race, uh, not only was good because there was rain in the morning, but it was also good, I think, for a viewership perspective. Yeah, I would agree, at least for, for me personally and selfishly. I was excited to see that because I was in meetings Monday morning. It was definitely not going to be able to see any of the Xfinity race, but um was able to stay up late enough to watch the end of that one, which I enjoyed. And I, the, you know, the ratings came out yesterday for the Daytona 500, and I think it was still 6 million some people. So I think uh, to me that was still a pretty spectacular number. Um, I know Monday was obviously a, a federal holiday with President's Day, so maybe you had a few more people off, but that obviously was still a tough start time for a lot of people and on a nine to five schedule to get home and be able to see that whole race. But I think, you know, given the situation, I thought that was still a pretty strong ratings number in my opinion. Yep. Yep. Some very good points there. All right. Uh, let's go ahead and get into some short track information here. Um, we go through, we don't have a lot of notes, as I mentioned, so we're just kind of go to going to the websites and hitting on some of the top stories from Racing America, Glow Racing, and Short Track Scene. Um, but uh, one of, we are going to have a hot topic later on that uh, I think is going to be kind of interesting, uh, and uh, it involves the uh, new IROC series and what happened with the SRX. Uh, but uh, let's get into these stories for now. Sounds great. All right. So I'm going to start a short track scene this time. Uh, normally we start with Racing in America, but I'm going to go to short track, short track scene. We talked a little bit about this on uh, Tuesday, but uh, throughout the past week, Brett Cruz said he prioritized winning a World Series of Asphalt uh, race. Uh, that's in the super late model division. And that is always huge when they have that uh, World Series of Asphalt Racing over at New Smyrna. And uh, this was no exception this year. Yeah, I think always great to have that. I think we all kind of miss, you know, NASCAR being the full speed weeks, but it's great to still have as much super late model racing as they do. And it's always awesome to see so many of the, the NASCAR folks that are typically busy and traveling with their series able to hop on over and, and check out, you know, the short track stuff and the, the dirt stuff that goes on down there. Um, but yeah, Cruz moving up through the Toyota development program um, and, you know, really making a name for himself already at such a young age and, you know, doing what he did down there in the experience is definitely uh, going to go a long way for him to continue to, uh, to get his name out there. Okay. And I'm sorry, I didn't catch the name you said. You're talking about Brent Cruz? Is that what you're talking about? Oh, Brent Cruz, okay. yeah. Okay, I thought Brent you Cruz, yeah. had moved. Yeah. Okay, I wanted to also mention the Gio Ruggiero. He claimed his second World Series win of the week. Uh, so that was pretty cool to see him have such a good week. And then Matt Hirschman, uh, he's, he had a chance to start a new World Series streak on Thursday, and he returned to form. He won the Blue at 76 with a victory. Yeah, I think a great battle kind of all week down there between Cruz and Ruggiero. Um, apologize if I'm mispronouncing that last name. Um, but, yeah, I think both driving the Donnie Wilson Motorsports, uh, really great battle between those two teammates down there at New Smyrna. And, uh, obviously, Brent prevailed, but a good week for Gio 
um, as well. And then Gustine, we know he won that truck series race on uh, Friday night, but he also scored a very emotional World Series win in the super late models. So it was a pretty big week for Gustine. Uh, yeah, it was. And, um, obviously, if people don't know, he, he lost his grandfather um, several weeks before kind of the racing season started. Um, he was a big part of, you know, his racing career and I think fun, helping fund that racing career as well. Um, so he obviously was pretty emotional and dedicated, both his um, win at Smyrna as well as his ARCA win at Daytona to his grandfather. Um, obviously, he's pretty emotional um, when he won both of those races. Yes, and he said his grandfather was his best friend, so uh, you know it had to be pretty emotional. And then another one I want to make sure we mention is uh, Ron Silk opened the Modified Tour title defense with a back-to-back New Smyrna wins out at uh, the World Series of Asphalt. Yeah, I think a really great start, obviously, to the to the Modified season for him. Um, you know, going back to back down there, a lot of stiff company. Um, you know, he noted that he, he loves that place, his favorite racetrack, and he's able to back up his wing from, from last year, 39 years old. So, you know, a lot of young kids out there these days. So great to see someone in their 30s, almost 40, uh, getting it done on the racetrack. So kudos to Silk and uh, great start to the season for 2024 for him. Absolutely. All right, uh, let's go ahead and move over to flow racing. There is never a shortage of races to watch (laughs) if you go to flow racing because they have nonstop racing uh, storylines and everything going on um, at that website, and they do a really good job. Our old friend Rob Blount uh, is uh, a part of that as well, and uh, he does a really good job over there. Yeah, I would agree. I think the Flow Racing subscription is probably the most valuable subscription I have to literally anything in my life these days. Um, always great races or interviews or replays. Um, funny enough, even last night, my girlfriend was like, oh, any, any racing on tonight? And I was like, uh, this is like no of them. I'm sure I can flip on Flow and find something. Um, I think the High Limit Series was practicing last night. I don't know if that was televised on there or not, but they are racing at Golden Isle Speedway um, tonight, I believe, getting the weekend kicked off down there. And I've really enjoyed following that series so far with Larson and Sweet teaming up to to get that kind of running a full series schedule. Um, obviously, some competition with the World of Outlaws, but I think it's just kind of great to have the two series um, kind of going at it, and hopefully it'll both uh, kind of help help motorsports as, as a whole with both of those series going at it this year. Um, that tracks all across the United States. Yes, indeed. Um, now, I will tell you, today at 4.15, that's central time, it would be 5.15 Eastern, high limit racing uh, will take place over at Golden Isles. And also today, and that's over at Flow Racing, today at 5.30 p.m. central time, you get the Vintage World Championships with Snowmobile. So that should be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, I would agree. And like you kind of mentioned, there's always some sort of racing going on at Flow, um, whether it be cars and or snowmobiles. So I think uh, it's exciting, always something great to flip on. Um, I'm always glad that I now have a three-TV wall, so usually some sort of motorsports gets on one TV and some sort of football or baseball on the second one. So uh, pretty excited to have the racing season kicked off in earnest here and really looking forward to more stuff kind of hitting the Midwest and getting out there in person as well. I'd say you're a pro viewer, Brian. 
I don't know about that. I'm sure people watch a lot more than than I do, but uh, I definitely have enjoyed my slow subscription and the different amount of stuff that we we have and can watch. It's definitely um, a vast improvement from several years ago where you could never watch any of these things. So very thankful to be able to have, you know, the streaming services that we do with motorsports. I feel like these days um, opens up a lot more opportunities to kind of watch stuff when you aren't able to get out to attract a person. So big fan. Um, and, yeah, we'll typically have flow on several nights a week in the, in the uh, Brian Eberle headquarters. <laughs> okay. Uh, if you want to get some uh, uh, preview of the race out there, the Highland Racing at Golden Isles, they have the first look uh, pre-entry list. And they also have joy lines to follow at the High Limit Deuces Wild at Golden Mile Speedway. Uh, those are videos that you can watch over there to kind of acclimate before the race. And then tomorrow, there's going to have the Lucas Oil Late Models racing at Golden Isle Speedway. That'll be at 445 Central, 545 Eastern. And then from the 24th to the 25th at 115, there's the Icebreaker Weekend at Lincoln. And also, that's at 115. That's Central, so that's 2.15 Eastern. And at 4.15 Central, 5.15 Eastern on the 24th is a high-limit Lucas Oil uh, modified at Golden Isle Speedway. So uh, let me see. Yeah, that's pretty much it for uh, giving you a preview of some of the highlighted uh, upcoming races that are taking place over at Flow Racing. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and move over now, though, because uh, we're coming up at um, the four, the 10.45 or 11.45 mark, I will just say, if you want some more racing to watch, another uh, avenue is Racing America. They do a great job over there of covering live events, and uh, you can take a look over there to see what's available to watch as well, uh, since we've kind of run out of time. We're going to move on now to the NASCAR, I'm sorry, to the Arkham Menard Series. Uh, they are not racing this weekend, but there are so many storylines to follow. Uh, and we'll tell you when each of the races are taking place for the Arkham Menard Series, the next race, as well as the East and the West. Uh, but I really want to focus right now, uh, um, Brian, I always forget who I'm talking to. Uh, Brian, I want to <laughs> uh, I want to hit on some of the storylines in the Arkham Menard series. You want to start us off there? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the the one for me from the whole weekend was Willie Mullins taking the pole. Um, you know, they've been around the series for for so long and worked so so hard. Um, you know, single car team, and they went down there and you know beat I think it was forty nine other cars, and there were fifty cars on the entry list to take the pole. Um, just so awesome to see. And if you guys haven't seen it, the, the videos that were captured are just the excitement and the emotion between him and his wife and his, his team and his family, I think was just awesome to see. Really great start to the season. Unfortunately, it didn't, the race didn't go as well for him. I don't think it's, they would have liked, but obviously um, him winning the pole, I think was great. Um, and, and getting that coverage for, for a small team. I think um, that was, that was just a huge and a great start to the year. Yes, that was a huge start to the year for uh, Willie Mullins. And, and I was excited, too, that he got the Reese sweet move of the race when he avoided an accident with that big save. Uh, that was an amazing save uh, that he made during the race. 
even though the rest of the race wasn't all that great. He did get that Reese sweet move of the race. Yeah, also awesome. Um, I think, you know, I don't think they're very disappointed in how their week went down there for sure. So awesome to see and looking forward to seeing them um, at some more tracks later this year when the series picks back up in action. And then we just talked about Gus Dean, how he won at uh, Speed Weeks or, you know, the World Series of Asphalt. But he also won that Truck Series race. And they have uh, his emotional uh, victory lane uh, talk as well. It was his third career Arkham Menard Series victory. Uh, I know uh, a lot of people weren't happy with the way he got that win, but he did get the win. He's going to be in the winner's uh, he was the one in victory lane. Yeah, I feel like there might be some interesting meetings going on this week at Venerini Motorsports. Um, <laughs> yeah. Not really sure there um, how I feel about it. I think, you know, if, if it were me, I would have said, hey, I'm not going to let my teammate down. I'm, I'm going for the win. I wouldn't have said I'm going to let my teammate down and then, and then not let that happen. Um, that would have been my personal take. Obviously, it's split-second decisions inside these race cars not in it, so can't really say, but I feel like if it were me, I would have said, hey, I'm not letting my teammate down. I'm going for the win. It's everybody for themselves, which I think is you know, how it's pretty much been managed in most super speedway races of all time, right? All these teams and manufacturers work together until you get down to those last couple laps, and then it's kind of you know, free-for-all, uh, may the best driver win. So I don't necessarily like the fact that he wasn't just straight up and said, hey, I'm, I'm going for it. Um, unfortunate for Finch, who had an awesome race as well. Yeah. Feel a little bit different when it gets to the Arca Series. I don't feel like you have necessarily the, the teammate feel like you do in some of these higher-level series as they move on up. But, uh, yeah, t- tough uh, tough pill there to swallow, I think, from how, how that ending kind of went down. But it is what it is, and we'll move on, and we'll see how, we'll see how Gus and Jake race each other when they get the chance later this year. Yeah, hopefully they uh, kind of put that uh, on the table and talk it through and and work it out, if you will, uh, and that uh, that'll be a little smoother going in the future. Uh, but there's another story here. Uh, Patrick Emerling uh, raced in that seasonal opener at uh, Daytona, but he was involved in a lot of racing. He had seven races in nine days between Daytona and Inferno, so that was just one of many. For him, yeah, quite the uh, start to the racing season, um, running that many races in that many days. Um, so I think, yeah, great to see. Um, you know, um, I think, yeah, sorry, I lost my train of thought there, but yeah, I think you know it was great to see him getting out there and, and running so many races to to get the season started. Okay, and on the getting to know you uh, part of this. Uh, Getting to know AM Racing uh, driver Christian Rose. He's been on our show several times. A lot of people may not know, but Christian Rose was very much involved in baseball before he became a NASCAR driver uh, and was quite accomplished in baseball. And now they've got a story on him uh, doing a round of golf in New Smyrna. So he's an all-round athlete, I'd say. (laughs) I would say so. That's an interesting nugget. I did not realize that he um, was a former college baseball player. So uh, awesome nugget to pick up, learn something new every day. And uh, yeah, I think, you know, I, I like Arca kind of making that video and kind of putting that out there. I think 
the more they can kind of show um, of drivers behind the scenes content, you know, I think we always get so many just little snippets, quick post-race interviews, quick things that are posted online. And I feel like so many drivers are just, you know, those kind of people that you can just sit around a campfire and talk to and just hang out with like so down to earth. And, uh, you know, I, I, I love things like the Netflix series and different things that have come out that are going to show a little bit, hopefully more of kind of behind the scenes and some of the personalities that don't always get to get shown just given time constraints or sizes of the fields and things like that. So love that. I think uh, nice to see ARCA kind of put something out like that, some different content and a uh, big fan of that and hope that continues. Yeah, like I say, he's been on the show, and I always tell him, you know, one of his uh, sponsors is Virginia Tourism, and that car that they put out for him is one of the best-looking cars in racing, I think. Yeah, that is a very slick paint scheme. Let's see if we can find that and tweet a picture of it out on on the socials when we're done here. But, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I do like that one. Yeah, yep, he's he's pretty good. Okay, uh, let's see, what else do I want to touch on here? Oh, uh, if you're into some fun, you can watch another video at uh, ARCAracing.com. Uh, it's called Shock Pin Shenanigans. Watch your favorite ARCA drivers get pranked at Daytona. So that's a little bit more on the fun side. And it's actually uh, on, uh, it's a post from the ARCA Menard series over at uh, Twitter, uh, or formerly known as Twitter, now known as X. It's and what so I'm going to do it's is I'm going to – did you see that? Yeah, I said, yeah, I'm, I'm always going to call it Twitter. So. Oh, me too. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of fun to watch this video. If you haven't seen it yet, I was going to post it, but I'm not signed in right now. So let me get signed in, and then I'll post it. Um, but it's a fun video if you haven't seen it. Uh, real quick, I'm going to sign in and get going. Okay, I'm signed in. I'm going to see if I can repost that video. Uh, so if you haven't seen it, you, hopefully you'll be able to see it here. Repost. Uh, and it's it's kind of fun to see them do those kind of things, too. I know some of the other NASCAR teams do that kind of thing, too, where uh, they do some fun things within the shop, and uh, the drivers come on and and uh, everything else. It's, it's pretty fun to watch that when they're having fun off of the track. Agreed, a thousand percent. All right, uh, let's go ahead. I want to make sure that we uh, cover when the next races are for the uh, Arkham Menard series. And since I'm on Twix, I've got to reload the page. Um, so the Arkham Menard, well, let's start with the Arca West. No, let's start with the Arca East because theirs is the furthest out. Um, the ARCA East Series ad, has their next race. Uh, actually, it's the first race for them. It'll be their season op- opener at Five Lake Speedway at Pensacola, Florida. Uh, the Pensacola 150 will be on March 23rd. So uh, fans will want to mark their calendars for that season opener. Uh, and just to give you some of the details here, it's a half-mile paved oval 
in Pensacola, Florida, and I guess that's all they tell us. It'll be Saturday, March the 23rd. Uh, we don't have a start time yet or laps or any of that information. I can tell you it will be live-streamed over at Flow Racing, and then also they'll have the radio coverage on ARCAracing.com. So, but mark it on your calendar for March 23rd. Yeah, I feel like it always takes a little bit to get the ARCA seasons going. Um, obviously, they race the ARCA National Series at Daytona to get the season started. you got to race there, but – being a primarily Midwest-based series, it's obviously still a little bit too cold to be doing a lot of racing around here, but it is a little bit tough with these early season gaps in the schedule um, before ARCA really kind of gets going in the late April, early May time frame and then runs almost weekly all throughout the summer. Yeah, only eight races on the schedule for the ARCA Menard Series, for that matter. Uh, they'll be racing, uh, I'm sorry, the ARCA East Series. They'll be racing uh, at Five Flags in March 23rd. One race in uh, April will be at Dover. Uh, two races in May, they'll be at Nashville Fairground Speedway and then Flat Rock Speedway. In June, it's just one race at Iowa Speedway. I'm hoping to get there. Are you planning to go there, uh, my um, Brian? <laughs> uh, yeah, for sure. Um, I Definitely do not want to miss that one. I have wanted Cup to come to Iowa ever since the first time I stepped foot in Iowa Speedway. I think it was in 2011 or 12, maybe. Uh, makes me feel kind of old. But uh, great track, great facility. Um, pretty excited about that weekend, for sure. Three races in a row we might be able to go to. Uh, there's the ARCA 200 at Lucas Oil in uh, Lucas Oil Indianapolis Raceway Park on July 19th. And then Milwaukee Mile on August 25th. Yeah, it's going to be a busy part of the summer stretch there, I think, uh, for a little bit. It's always tough, especially in the Midwest. I feel like you got three months where it's every weekend I could be at three or four different places at a racetrack live, which is, I guess, a great problem to have. But, yeah, I haven't had a chance mm-hmm. to really kind of sit down and look at the schedule and try to map it out yet, but definitely Iowa has been circled on the calendar since that was announced. Definitely got to be back at the Chicago Street course. Not to not to buy away from our ARCA topic right now, but I feel like, you know, there's a, a lot of great races on the schedule this year that I'm looking forward to once they uh, once they kind of hit the Midwest. Milwaukee Mile, for yeah. sure. Great track. So historic. Such a cool little facility. So really looking forward to that. Glad ARCA and the, the truck series are going to be there um, since it's about the only NASCAR national race. And we get in Wisconsin since NASCAR all of a sudden seems to hate our friends at Road America. So, anyway, I digress from that. But, yeah, looking forward to uh, ARCA kind of really getting ramped up and throughout the Midwest this summer. Okay. And then, of course, they wrap up their season at Bristol Motor Speedway on September the 19th. Again, eight races. For the West, there's going to be 12 races. They already they will start their season uh, when the Cup Series and everybody goes to Phoenix Raceway on March the 8th for the General Tire 150. Uh, and then they've got 12 races. Uh, They'll have a couple of races at Irwindale Speedway. Uh, Kern County Raceway is now called Kevin Harvick's Kern County Raceway. I think that's cute. They're going to have a couple of races there. That was Kevin Harvick's hometown racetrack. So I think that's pretty cool that they did that. Uh, Then you got Portland International Raceway on the schedule, Sonoma Raceway, Shasta, Tri-County Raceway, Moderna, All-American Speedway, and then, of course, they conclude the season on November 8th at Phoenix Raceway. So 
uh, a lot going on there for the um, uh, 150 for the ARCA West Series. That race, we do have some details. 6 p.m. Mountain Time, 8 p.m. Eastern. It's a one-mile paved oval in Avondale, uh, Arizona. It will be televised on Fox Sports 1, and they'll be racing 150 laps. You can also watch it on this Fox Sports app or listen on MRN uh, to that race. And just so you know, the Arkham and Arts Series will be there that weekend, too. It'll be one race, two series. So uh, it'll be the second race for the Arkham and Arts Series, the season opener for the Arca West. So uh, that'll be fun to watch as well. All right, I don't think we have our notes yet, so we're going to go um, uh, with, let's start with the uh, fantasy uh, notes that we have for the Craftsman Truck Series. I know they're going to be racing this weekend, and I believe that race, um, shoot, I thought I had my calendar here, and I don't. Let me look on the phone. I've got it on the phone. Um, the Truck Series will be racing, I believe it's a doubleheader on Saturday, isn't it? Yep, that's correct. Kind of one of my favorite schedules, scheduling of the season, really, when the trucks and Xfinity run the doubleheader like that. Um, I think that's a great yeah. great value for fans and uh, always kind of fun to watch. And if you're available, be able to set aside almost a full Saturday of a couple of great racing. Um, I, I digress on how I feel about Atlanta Speedway itself now, but... Um, I do like the fact that they've got that doubleheader action going on. Yeah, that race will actually start at uh, 4 p.m. Central. That's 5 p.m. Eastern uh, out at Atlanta Motor Speedway on Saturday. So, uh, like we say, it's a doubleheader. That's the second of the two races. Uh, Again, let me see if I can get some track info here. I don't know if we have track info for... Um, Atlanta Motor Speedway, but it's in Hampton, Georgia. Uh, Okay, I'm not seeing track info anywhere. (laughs) I've got policies and everything else, but uh, it's the Raptor King of Tough 250. That's the Xfinity race. The Raptor 250. 50 qualifying, or actually, that is the truck series race uh, for the double header. Yeah. Okay. So we don't have our usual notes, so I apologize for that. Usually we have that information available uh, at our fingertips, and it's just not available at our fingertips today. But let's talk about who are the drivers to watch this weekend at. Georgia at Atlanta. Yeah, I mean, I think for starters, you got to go with the guy that just won at Daytona, Nick Sanchez. Um, obviously got it done there. Um, going to be kind of similar with all the drafting that will go on in Atlanta this weekend. So definitely him in that number two truck, I think, um, probably a, a favorite going in for sure. Yeah, I would agree with you. I was going to call him my dark horse uh, pick for this weekend, but there's a couple of drivers – there's three drivers that have over 100 driver rating at uh, 
uh, where they're a box score at Atlanta Motor Speedway. And actually, the name of the race is the Freight 208. Or is that from last year? I don't know. My notes are mixed up right now, and I apologize. I think it is the Raptor King uh, name, not the Freight 208. Uh, but three drivers that have ratings over 100 uh, could certainly be three drivers you want to think about for fantasy picks. Uh, Ty Majeski tops that list. He's got a driver rating of 106.3 in just three starts at that track. Uh, and he's got some pretty interesting stats. Uh, laps in the top 15, 97.4% of his laps are in that top 15. Uh, his uh, average finish at that race is 7.0. And uh, it, it's uh, he's got some impressive stats. Uh, average start is 3.0. His average mid-race stat is at 9.5. So some pretty interesting stats for Ty Majeski. Another driver is Ben Rhodes, uh, the defending champion. He's got an average start of 9.0, mid-race 7.0, and average finish at 3.5. Uh, he has 87% uh, quality passes. That's not the stat I was looking for. The 91.5% in laps in the top 15. And his uh, uh, driver rating is 103.5. And then you've got Stuart Friesen. Average uh, driver rating is 102.5 with an 8.0 average start, 3.0 in the mid-race, and 14.0 for his average finish. His uh, laps in the top 15 come in at 85.7. Now for, um, let's see, starts. I want to see how many. I didn't see the starts here. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, I don't see the starts on this list. But would you agree those are... uh, Kind of the top three drivers to watch. Nick Sanchez, by the way, is in fourth place here. Yeah, I would agree. I think all all three of those drivers are definite good options and great chances to win um, this weekend. I think uh, the fine folks at DraftKings would also agree in that they're fairly high up there in the odds to win. Um, we do have one name that's not a series regular, but that is coming back this weekend to run. Um, that's always the favorite to win anytime he gets in a truck. And that'll be Kyle Busch. Um, he's running five races this year in the Truck Series. Obviously, he sold off Kyle Busch Motorsports um, at the end of last season, bought by Spire Motorsports. But as part of all that, he's going to drive five races in the team's number seven truck um, this year. He's obviously won 64 times in a truck. He's won at Atlanta before. Um, I believe he won the first race uh, when, it was re- when it was repaved in the truck. So um, definitely probably the, the betting favorite, if you will, or is the betting favorite based on the odds. Um, but he has struggled a little bit um, in his last several forays in the truck, and Spire is obviously a, a little bit of a different operation. So I think uh, it would be interesting to watch and see how he does um, out there this weekend. Okay. I am going to correct myself because uh, I see where my error <laughs> and where my confusion is coming in. Uh, no worries. It's actually – the Xfinity Series that is the Raptor King of Tough 250. The Truck Series is the Freight 8 208, and that race actually starts at 1 o'clock uh, Central Time. That would be 2 o'clock Central, uh, Eastern Time, and uh, 
it's the Xfinity Series race that's going to start at four. My apologies. Don't worry. It's always confusing <laughs> trying to figure out what time and what channel things are going to be on in this the year, 2024. <laughs> yes, I hear you. Okay, average running position, uh, it's the same three people kind of at the top of this list as well. Ben Rose uh, is at top with uh, <clears throat> the 3.5 average finish. His average place in the race is 7.5. Ty Majeski at 7.0 for average finish, 8.041 for average place. And Stuart Friesen at 14.0 average finish, but an 8.448. Uh, for average running position. Um, so we got the same. Here's This is an interesting stat. We've got, um, if you're looking for some people to make beyond those top three drivers, you might want to look at the closers of the race. So stats up, um, Brian? I do not. I'm having some crazy internet issues, so I'm okay, just going to Okay, I'll, go, I'll go ahead and cover so, it then. I'll let you go ahead and run those off. Okay, the top of this list for the average closers at Atlanta Motor Speedway in the truck series, you've got Jack Wood uh, in number 91. His average finish is 11.5. He has average spots gained at 7.0, and positions moved up at 14. Grant Infinger... Uh, is uh, at a 15.5 average finish, 6.5 spots gained, and a 13 positions moved up. Uh, And then Matt Crafton in the 88 has a 17.0 average finish, but 6.0 spots gained and a 12 positions to moved up. So those drivers know how to get around that track and know how to move up spots. So they might be uh, ones to consider for your fantasy picks as well. Always a lot of solid options when you get to the Daytona, Talladega, and now Atlanta of the world with a lot of people having an opportunity to win for sure. So, um, yeah, all great choices for sure. Okay. I'm looking here to see if there's any other stats. Tyler Ancrum might be a dark horse to pick as well. Uh, He doesn't have a very good average finish. It's 18.5. But he has one of the highest speeds on the track at 165.895. So uh, he knows how to go fast around that track. And we all know Atlanta Motor Speedway is it. And I think as these guys kind of mature, they get better and better. Um, and Tyler's got this going for him as well, and that's green flag passes. He has 161 green flag passes. That's more than any other driver. The second closest to him is Christian Eckes at 139. So uh, Tyler Ankrum kind of excels when it comes to green flag passes at Atlanta Motor Speedway. And also, Ankrum uh, won a stage last weekend as our current Truck Series point leader um, heading into this weekend as well. So, solid start to the season for him, and he'll look to continue that at Daytona. Or at Atlanta, sorry. Yes, continue Daytona. Atlanta. <laughs> well, we said Daytona a lot recently, so I understand that. I'm just trying to look for other drivers. Uh, maybe another dark horse here. He doesn't have a lot of experience on this track. 
But keep an eye on Thad Moffat, the uh, grandson of uh, Richard Petty. Uh, again, his average finish isn't there, but he has a pretty decent speed. Uh, average speed late in the run, uh, and that's when you want to have a good average speed. Uh, his average speed is 170.453, and uh, the next person closest to him is at 140.817. So I'd say Thad excels in that that as well. Matt Mills is the guy who comes in second at 140. So that's late in the run. Uh, so keep an eye on Thad Moffat. And then Thad is also uh, at the top of the board for average speed early in the run. Uh, again, his average speed early in the run is 167.116. Matt Mills is second in this category as well at 151.635. So, uh, again, we're just looking at stats here to give you some ideas. Uh, but are there any storylines we can follow here in the truck series? Um, no, I think there's, Brian, there's several. I think one that I'm kind of looking looking at this week is how um, Lane, Riggs is, Lane Riggs is going to do for Front Row Motorsports. Um, obviously, um, not the week he wanted last week, being caught up in a wreck at Daytona, but um, definitely did not play out the way that that team wanted to. But I think he's kind of put that beside beside him. He's got some better drafting experience going on. He's obviously in the truck that Thane Smith has had a lot of success with. Um, they're definitely, um, from their, their pre-race release this week, he and both crew chief Dylan Capello have kind of put Daytona behind them. Um, they're confident that they've got that drafted experience to kind of rely on, that they'll be able to hopefully have a better performance and at least a better result um, when it comes to Atlanta this weekend. Okay. I do have some other stats here I can share with you. Then for the um, – uh, this is for the truck series. I'm sorry, our cup series. I thought this was going to be for the truck series, but it's not. Um, how did I get to cup? Okay, let me see if I can get some information here. On the entry list for the Freight 8208 uh, for the Craftsman Truck Series, there's 32 drivers and teams for 36 spots, so all 32 drivers will make the race. Uh, the number six, 7 is listed as a TBA. The number 27 will be Rayum Brothers, uh, but they withdrew from the race, so they will not be in that race. Uh, some driver changes this week. The number one is uh, Kobe Howard, number 45, Caden Honeycutt, and the number 66 uh, is Connor Jones. So uh, just a couple of specific notes there. Um, and then let me see if this good new notes is for the truck series. Uh, they do have the qualifying order up uh, for the truck series. But I don't have uh, race notes for their tire. Uh, we do have the entry list. Like I say, there's 36 drivers on that entry list. Um, let me see if there's any surprises real quick if I go through this entry list. Thad Moffat is on this list. Daniel Dye. Keith McGee will be back. King Thompson is racing the number five this weekend. Mason Massey. Uh, I don't see anything too, 
Ty Dillon, of course, is in that 25 car this year. Anything stand out to you on that entry list? I think for me, just the fact there's only 32 trucks this week out of 36 that they could have. So definitely a little bit lower truck count. I think feeling the the heat of, you know, the budgetary constraints and the lack of teams. Obviously, we lost GMS last year, after last year. So a little bit disappointing. There's not a few more trucks, but hopefully uh, that'll maybe pick up as the season goes on. And hopefully the 32 that are there will be able to be competitive and put on a good show. Okay, I know they said the number seven was listed as a TBA, but I do see an article here that says Kyle Busch is going to wheel that Spire Motorsports truck entry at Atlanta Motor Speedway. He's actually going to drive in five races, as he usually does, Um, but he's going to start in that number seven Chevrolet Silverado uh, this weekend for the Freight 208 at Atlanta Motor Speedway. He'll also, uh, in addition to this weekend's uh, race, um, he'll be at Las Vegas Motor Speedway on uh, March 1st, Bristol Motor Speedway on March 16th, Texas Motor Speedway on April 12th, and Darlington Raceway on May 10th. So uh, pretty cool. To say. It's always cool when we see Kyle Busch in the race. I don't know that everyone agrees with your take on that. I think it's cool as well, but I don't know that the wider fan base would necessarily share that opinion. Um, although I think people have enjoyed him not winning quite as much when he climbs in the truck as he as he used to. It used to be, you know, several years there where he was five for five in his truck races. Have, haven't necessarily seen that the last couple of seasons. And I don't know that we'll see that with kind of Spire being a, a newer team to the truck series this year as well, but uh, you never know. Um, and I think while we're talking about Kyle Busch, I think another interesting note on him this last week um, came out for real. Um, some interviews and stuff at Daytona. He indicated he's interested in maybe jumping in a sprint car, and Kyle Larson sounded like he may be interested in giving him that opportunity. So I don't know that I'd be too cool. surprised if we didn't see Kyle maybe climb in one of those high limit races um, coming up later later on this season, potentially. So uh, kind of excited to see that. I've really enjoyed watching kind of his foray into dirt with himself and, and with Brexton as well. So always enjoy when, when the NASCAR guys kind of get into some of the different dirt stuff. So kind of looking forward to, to seeing if maybe something develops from that. Okay. So, yeah, I think that's going to be very cool um, if he decides to race in sprint. We know he's a good driver, and it doesn't matter what kind of car he gets in, he's going to figure it out. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that's uh, very cool to see him uh, considering that. And I like that. I really like Kyle Larson, the fact that he's willing to give him that chance. And I just think Kyle Larson has one of the best attitudes of all the drivers in racing. I really like him. Yeah, I would agree with that. I was just on the media availability with him maybe a week or so ago um, with um, for his Indy 500 stuff and just talking through it and just his, the way he seems excited to learn. And obviously, you know, getting any car is vastly different than – a cup car. So just being able to go and, and do that and hopefully still be, you know, very successful. I think that's going to definitely be a major storyline of the 2024 season as him running the double on Memorial Day weekend and would, would love to see, you know, maybe some more crossover like that in the future. But yeah, he's always just so down to earth, always so communicative, just honestly a, a great guy. Um, had a chance to interact with him several times down in Tulsa at the Chili Bowl before anyone even really knew who Kyle Larson was. So Really fun to see his career develop. Obviously, went through some 
some tough times in his career in, in 2020, 2021. Um, came back, won the cup championship. I think just been great to kind of see just what he's been able to do. And um, I think, you know, I think the quote that Kyle Busch and Larson had when they were going back and forth this week was that they wanted to put him in a, a sprint car that's by Paul Silva, which is Larson's sprint car crew chief uh, most of the time, and see if it's Larson that's actually so good or if it's Paul Silva and the car that are so good. It was kind of the joke, I think, uh, between those two. So just, uh, you know, great guy, fun down to earth, and um, love to just hear his insight and be fun to kind of watch his IndyCar experience. I think, obviously, being affiliated with Hendrick and everything, I'm sure they're going to have a, a lot of great content that rolls out as part of that, and I'm uh, really excited to consume that and, and follow that journey. Okay. Now, getting back, I, I do want to get back to the truck series real quick before we move on to the Xfinity series uh, and cover the uh, series point standings. We've mentioned Tyler Ankrum a couple times. He's at the top of that points list, and I know you mentioned that, Brian, uh, but there's just a one-point difference between him and Nick Sanchez. So Nick Sanchez won that race, uh, and it, it comes down to uh, uh, stage wins. Uh, Tyler Ankrum has a stage win, uh, and so that's what's put him at the top of that list. Uh, and then just four points behind the leaders, Christian Eckes in third, five points back is Brett Holmes. Uh, and Brett and Matt Crafton are actually tied for that number four spot. They're both five points back uh, from that lead. If we go to the next group of drivers, you've got Corey Heim six points back, Ty Majeski is eight points back, and Raja Karuth is nine points back. And then we've got another two-way tie for ninth place between Spencer Boyd and Bailey Curry. So I'd say all of those drivers are, are guys to keep your eyes on this weekend to see who's going to kind of uh, set the tone uh, and maybe with that this is just one race in. Uh, this will give us a, a little more in-depth knowledge, just a little more in-depth knowledge, having two races in the books after Atlanta. Yeah, I would agree. Definitely kind of uh... – Always a little bit of wild start to the season when you've got Daytona and then Atlanta will probably tear some more trucks up. I just hope we're going to see a little bit cleaner racing than we've seen at Daytona and at the Phoenix finale last year. I think a a lot of people in and around the industry and teams as well are kind of a little bit frustrated with some of the wrecks and driving etiquette that we've seen so far this year. So um, hopefully they clean that up a little bit. Hopefully we see a good race at Atlanta this weekend. Yes, indeed. Okay. Uh, let's move on now to the uh, Xfinity Series. Again, they're racing on Saturday at 4 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Eastern out at Atlanta Motor Speedway in the Raptor King 250. Um, and there's several drivers that we have on this list that are over 100 in driver rating. Uh, some of them are not racing this weekend. Uh, Parker Kligerman's on the list in second place at 108.3. You've got Ryan Truex. I'm not sure if he's on the list. He's at 107.9. A.J. Allmendinger at 102.8, followed very closely behind uh, Chandler Smith at 102.3, and John Hunter Nemechek at 100.3. But the guy at the top of that list, any guesses who that might be? 
Well, I, I got the stats pulled up now as well, so things are working. So I, oh, okay. I, I'm not not a blind guess anymore, but um, it is Austin Hill, and uh, he would definitely be my favorite coming into this weekend as well. Not only did he just win last week at Daytona to kick the season off, since they've repaved and, and reconfigured Atlanta Speedway a couple of years ago, there's been four Xfinity races there. He's won two of those four. Um, definitely just has something um, at these at these super speedway tracks. So uh, he would definitely be my betting favorite heading into the weekend. The numbers don't lie about that, and we'll, we'll see how things shake out um, when they get to, to Georgia this weekend. Okay. I want to look at the answer list here for the uh, Xfinity Series. and I want to make sure I know who's in it. Uh, and I'm looking for specifically – uh, Ryan Truex is in this race, and who is the other driver in that top group that I was uh, wondering Parker's about? Clark Kligerman. He's also is he? in the field this weekend, too, in the number 48. In the number 48. Yes, he is. He's in the race as well. So uh, so those are all drivers that you want to keep an eye on this weekend. Um, and I think Almendinger's on that list as well. Uh, yep, correct. So, yeah, and just to, to give an idea of what our friends in Vegas think um, as far as the odds go for this weekend, they've got Austin Hill um, as the betting favorite heading into the weekend, followed by John Hunter Nemechek, A.J. Elmendinger, Justin Allgaier, Cole Custer, and Sheldon Creed. So those are your, your top favorites to win the race uh, for DraftKings Sportsbook as of this morning. Okay, thank you. That's really cool. Uh, for the best uh, average running position, Austin Hill tops that list, followed by Ryan Truex at 8.227. Uh, Cole Custer, I think, is going to be good this week. He's got Ryan has a, a best average finish at 3.0, which is better than even Austin Hill at 4.0. But Cole Custer comes in at 7.5 with an average running place of uh, 8.305. Probably. Let's see if there's anybody better. I don't think there's anybody better, though, than 3.0 for average finish. So Ryan Truex tops the list there. Uh, Topping the list for closers. Do you want to cover that one? Yeah, sure. And topping the list for closers. Uh, He definitely closed a couple great road course races last year, and that's Sam Mayer in the number one Chevrolet for Junior Motorsports. Um, I think uh, he's had such a great year last year. I think he's got to be a favorite coming in. We've also got Sheldon Creed in the number 18. Um, moved over to Joe Gibbs Racing uh, this weekend. I think he definitely probably has a little bit of a chip on his shoulder to to prove that that was the right move and that he's going to be better than he was at RCR. I'm sure uh, he's a little frustrated he wasn't able to beat Austin last weekend. So I would look at Sheldon Creed to be extra motivated this weekend to to prove that Joe Gibbs was the right move for him and he can be a, a better driver over there than he was um, while he was in the RCR camp. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. Uh, we covered the driver rating already. Uh, average runs early in this uh, the, and late. That you, there's some different names on that list. Uh, fastest laps run. Let's go to that one. We yeah, got Austin sure. that's, Hill. That's no surprise, Austin Hill. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Go ahead, Brian. Yeah, Austin Hill. Uh, second, you've got Brandon Jones in the number nine, Junior Motorsports Chevrolet. Um, third, Riley Herbst. 
Um, obviously, Riley's been making some noise lately. Fourth, Sheldon Creed, and fifth, Justin Allgaier. Um, I think you can probably expect all five of those drivers to be up near the front of the field this weekend in Atlanta. You've got, you know, RCR, a couple junior motorsports cars, uh, Joe Gibbs' um, car in there as well, all solid teams, all solid drivers, a um, couple veterans, a um, couple younger drivers in that mix. Um, obviously, uh, Justin Allgaier, Illinois guy, always follow him closely. Um, super cool down-to-earth dude, and uh, I think uh, he's I think he's going to have a really good year this year. Yeah. On the restarts, and we know restarts are so important, uh, top drivers on restarts uh, starts off with Sam Mayer at the top of the list, followed by uh, Parker Kligerman, Sheldon Creed, Austin Hill, and Ryan Truex. So, uh, again, we've mentioned all of those names. Uh, the key could be restarts. So uh, you want to keep your eye on which one of those drivers do best this weekend. Uh, any other stats here you think we should touch on? Um, I just always enjoy kind of looking at laps in the top 15, just to kind of show you overall in a race, you know, who's who's up towards the front and maybe not as much of a, a fluke finish or something like that. And really no surprise here, um, led by Austin Hill. Uh, Justin Allgaier, Sam Mayer, Sheldon Creed, Brandon Jones kind of ran up, run up, uh, run up the top five there. Definitely expect all of them to be contenders on Saturday. Um, no surprise to see any of those drivers run up front and win. Um, so I think uh, that that kind of makes sense there um, as well for me. And when you kind of look at lap sled, uh, no surprise, Austin Hill um, as well. So Austin Hill, no doubt the favorite going into this weekend, assuming he can keep that car clean um, until the end. Absolutely. All right. Uh, here's some race information with regard to um, Atlanta Motor Speedway. Uh, they are going to race. They'll have qualifying Friday, February 23rd at 4.45 to 6 p.m. Uh, and then the race, as we mentioned earlier, uh, starts at 5 p.m. Eastern, 4 o'clock Central uh, uh, for that that same day. Um, there are 38 drivers and teams on the entry list for the Raptor King of Tufts Xfinity Series race. Uh, one car will miss the race in this one, so qualifying is going to be really important. Some of the notable drivers listed on the entry list include the number six of uh, Garrett Smithley. you got Patrick Emerling in the 07. J.J. Yaley's back in the number 14. Ryan Truex in the 19. Jeffrey Earnhardt will be in the number 26. Jordan Anderson will be in that number 32 uh, car. Joey Gase in the number 35. C.J. McLaughlin in the number 38. B.J. McLeod in the number 78. Nick Lights in the number 92. And the number 53, Joey Gase Motorsports Ride, actually withdrew from the event, so they will not be racing uh, this weekend. Any other notables you want to mention on that entry list? Jesse Love, he's racing full-time this year. Yeah, I'm excited to see how he does. Obviously, the ARCA champion last year, getting a shot um, over in the number two car at RCR, formerly occupied by Sheldon Creed, also another ARCA champion. I think uh, he could have a really great year um, with RCR and getting his start there. Um, Also, just an interesting report I saw today. I don't know how much how much validity is necessarily behind it, but that Frankie Munoz might be kind of buying in to Joey Gase's ARCA team and kind of having a co-ownership deal 
um, going on there going forward. Don't know how far along that is or how legitimate that is, but I did see a couple of different tweets on that um, this morning. So kind of interesting there. Obviously, Frankie, well-known from his Malcolm in the Middle days, ran ARCA last year and has kind of moved up to the Xfinity Series this year. Don't know if he'll be running a full season, but definitely running at least a partial schedule in the NASCAR Xfinity Series this year. And sounds like he very well could be partnering with, with Joey Gase Motorsports and, and kind of being part of the co-ownership deal there. So exciting, something to kind of watch there for any Frankie slash Malcolm in the Middle fans. Yes, uh, that's a, that is an interesting story. And uh, I think it would be good for the sport. Uh, it, I think it will make Gase Motorsports a lot more competitive. And uh, uh, I'm anxious to see how, how Frankie Munoz does. He did a fairly good job, I thought, in the, in the Arkham Menard series. I do have some um, notes here for the tire notes for the Xfinity series. Uh, they will be racing 163 laps and covering a distance of 251 miles. Um, and actually, I think uh, these uh, the Craftsman Truck Series uh, will also be uh, 130 laps for two miles. And uh, that track is a 1.54-mile oval. Now, these fast facts, I guess, are for both the Truck Series and the uh, Xfinity Series. Um, They'll be using the Goodyear Eagle 15-inch Speedway radials. Uh, They'll have four sets for the event and uh, for the Truck Series as well. The left side and right side tires uh, are pretty similar. D6124 on the left compared to D6126 on the right. Uh, circumference 87.6 inches on the left, 88.58 inches on the left, on the right side. Uh, This is a big one, the the inflation. They recommend 19 PSI on the left front and 19 PSI on the left rear. On the right front, it's 52 PSI and 48 PSI on the right rear. So, That is where the teams tend to play around sometimes and, and why sometimes you see a lot, a lot of flat tires on the track is because they push the limits uh, with that PSI uh, and the uh, air pressure on those tires. So uh, if they go too far, that's when they end up uh, getting a flat tire. So the trucks return to Atlanta established that tire set up uh, and the Xfinity and Craftsman Truck Series run, will run a different tire setup than those on the Cup Series in Atlanta this weekend. Uh, it's the same tire setup that the tires ran at Atlanta for the last two seasons, um, and, and it's the same that they use for NASCAR ovals, great ovals that are greater than one mile in length. Xfinity and truck teams are required to run liners, in all tire positions at Atlanta, and air pressure on those inner liners should be uh, in that 12 to 25 PSA, um, anything greater greater than that of the outer tire. So, again, uh, that's where they kind of play around sometimes, uh, Brian, but sometimes it can bite them if they go too far. Uh, yeah, no doubt there. We've, we've always seen that. And anytime we have a race that has several tire failures, it's always kind of the debate between – Goodyear blaming the teams and the teams blaming Goodyear, maybe the fans blaming Goodyear. 
Um, so always kind of an interesting storyline to watch there when those do pop up. Hopefully we don't have that at Atlanta or really any time this year. Um, but I think, you know, as Goodyear kind of adopts to the new next-gen car, I think that's gotten better, and we haven't necessarily seen nearly as many tire issues as we did in the first season of the car, so that's great news. And uh, looking forward to hopefully having none of those this weekend because I'm sure we'll probably have enough wrecks on our own at the new and allegedly improved Atlanta Motor Speedway. Okay. Uh, another story, uh, we mentioned this, I think, earlier. Carson Quapo is going to make his Xfinity Series debut with Junior Motorsports out at Martinsville Speedway. That's coming up on the schedule. Uh, but uh, keep an eye on that. That's going to be uh, interesting to see how he does in the Xfinity Series. He's a good truck series driver, um, but I'm anxious to see what he does in the Xfinity Series. I would second that opinion for sure. All right. We've got a little time here. Is there any other uh, notes that you want to make sure we mention here? Uh, Maybe Chris Hacker. Uh, A lot of people might know that name. Yeah, I think um, probably he's always been pretty big on social media, so I feel like he's got at least some following or his name out there a little bit more. Um, I think um, last I saw his recovery from that, accident is going well um and that's fantastic because that looked pretty pretty awful i feel like um and i don't know what the recovery timeline is but he's definitely openly kind of been sharing that i think showed some of the scars and stuff on social media so pretty open about that thankful he is not more injured and wish him best of luck in his recovery um, and probably, hopefully, eventually return to racing. But I don't know. I believe he has headed home from the hospital in Florida as of a day or two ago. So I think that's good news and another good step in his recovery process. Absolutely. They originally thought it wasn't uh, as serious as it was. Uh, they did do a CT scan, thankfully, and that CT scan uh, showed several issues. He had multiple thoracic fractures in the spine, T1, T2, T3, and C7, all found during the MRI. And then the CT scan showed a ruptured spleen that had to be removed, a collapsed lung, internal bleeding, which is always serious, uh, a lacerated kidney, and lacerated adrenal gland. Uh, His recovery is going well, but thankfully they did that CT scan because they had no idea of all these other injuries until they did that. So um, we wish uh, Chris Hacker the best in his recovery, and uh, hopefully he will be back in racing. But, uh, yeah, that was that he was on his way to Daytona when he was hit head-on uh, by a truck that uh, crossed the line. So uh, that, that was a pretty serious injury, pretty serious incident. Yeah, it's crazy when you look at they thought he was okay until they did the scan, and they're like, oh, you have, like, all these things wrong. Like, it's crazy to me. Yeah. But thankfully, they caught all that as, I guess, early as, as they did, and um, were able to get him on the road to recovery. Absolutely. I'm, I'm really happy and excited about that. All right. We've got a little extra time, just a couple minutes here, but we're going to move on now to the NASCAR Cup Series. Uh, they are racing on Sunday, and let me pull that up on my calendar here. Uh, the Sunday race 
is going to be the M Better Health. Uh, I think it's 400, and that'll start at 2 p.m. Central, 3 p.m. Eastern, and uh, definitely uh, want to tune in for that race. Uh, I think most of the races. I wish I had my cam- my other calendar with me because I've got. Uh, what network they're on and everything. I'm pretty sure the Truck Series race is going to be on Fox Sports 1. Do you have that info, Handy? Not up, but I can definitely look it up. Okay, yeah. We probably should let them know what network to uh, watch for. While you're looking for that, I'm going to cover some of the stats here for the um, Cup Series drivers. We've got three drivers that have um, a driver rating over 100 in the Cup Series, all three are racing this weekend, and I don't think there's going to be too many surprises here. Joey Logano is at 100.4. He's in third place. Above him is Chase Elliott at 104.8. But the guy at the top of that list is Ryan Blaney at 108. So uh, three drivers to definitely think about for your fantasy uh, bet in the um, uh, Cup Series. And when Brian comes back, he can give us the DraftKings fantasy leaders. Yeah, for sure. So I guess first let's run down kind of the television schedule for this weekend when it comes to NASCAR at Atlanta. So on Friday, we got a little bit of the track activity. Truck qualifying is on at 3.05 Eastern time on FS1, um, followed by Xfinity Series qualifying at 5 p.m. Eastern time, also on FS1. And then on Saturday, we get a nice little triple header of all three series being on track, uh, starting with cup qualifying at 11.30 Eastern. Everything on Saturday is on FS1, so you won't have to get that remote out to change the channel. Um, After qualifying on FS1 for the cup series, we move into the truck race at 2 p.m. Eastern time, 135 laps, 207.9 miles. And then shortly following that, at 5 p.m. Eastern time, we've got the Xfinity race, also on FS1, 163 laps around Atlanta Motor Speedway, 251.02 miles. Um, and coverage of all of that on-track activity will also be on Sirius XM NASCAR Radio and the Performance Racing Network for Cup Qualifying in the Xfinity race and the Motor Racing Network for the Truck race. And then when we roll into Sunday, 3 p.m. Eastern time, the cup race on Big Fox um, again this weekend, which is great for the series. Also on Performance Racing Network and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio, 3 p.m. Eastern time, 260 laps, 400.4 miles around Atlanta Motor Speedway. So um, all on-track action, either on FS1, to make it simple, FS1, uh, Friday and Saturday, and Sunday on Big Fox for the cup race. Okay, thank you so much. I thought I had my calendar here and had all that information. And then, of course, when I started, I looked around and it was nowhere to be found. No worries. So I apologize. And then when it comes to, comes to the odds, um, as of this morning, via DraftKings Sportsbook, Joey Logano is actually the favorite to win. I kind of would have thought maybe William Byron would have been after his performance at Daytona last weekend, but William Byron comes in second. Logano's at 9-1 to one odds. William Byron at 10-1. to one. Blaney and Hamlin also at 10-1. to one. Chase Elliott at 11-1. to one. And Kyle Larson at 12 to 1, along with Kyle Busch. So I think those all kind of make sense to me. Um, I kind of like Brad Keselowski down there at 14 to 1. The RFK cars and Brad himself always do really well on the on the super speedways. So I think that's great. Um, Bubba Wallace has obviously done very well on those types of tracks as well. He's down there at 22 to 1. Might not be bad if you want to sprinkle a little bit of money there. 
as well. Uh, but yeah, the odds kind of match up. It's kind of what you would expect based on how you were just discussing the driver rating and past performance at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Yeah, similar names. Uh, uh, they show William Byron with a 99.3 driver rating. Benny Hamlin's in uh, fifth place with the 88.4, so a lot of the same people, as you mentioned. Uh, let's take a look at uh, the closers at uh, in the Cup Series at Atlanta. Um, sounds good. So maybe okay. a little bit of a surpri- surprise on the first one. Um, you got Justin Haley up there, but you've also got Chase Elliott, Ross Chastain, Austin Sindrick, I'm um, a guy we haven't mentioned yet um, in our conversation so far today, Chase Briscoe, um, as well, coming in at sixth on that list of closers um, based at Atlanta Motor Speedway. I will say the one thing I just noticed, I didn't realize this, at first they, they've got the stats all the way back to 2005. Obviously, Atlanta was kind of a vastly different track, 2021 and mm-hmm. prior, um, versus 2022 and 2023, and now into 2024. So a little bit of a different game there. I'm a little surprised they wouldn't have broken those apart into separate buckets because, honestly, I personally don't care how anyone did it at Atlanta in 2021 and prior because once you hit 2022, obviously, it's a completely different, repaved, reconfigured, now super speedway track. So definitely, um, if you're playing fantasy and or placing any bets this weekend, definitely make sure you're looking at the 2022 and 2023 stats. Those are really going to be what you want to focus on. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a very, very good point. Okay, and we'll go to statistical analysis on some of this as well. Um, but uh, fastest laps run, you got Chase Briscoe, Ross Chastain, Justin Haley, Eric Jones, and Martin Trex Jr. in that category in the top five. And uh, fastest on restarts, there's some surprise names on this list. B.J. McLeod, J.J. Yaley, Martin Truex Jr., Chase Briscoe, and Alex Bowman. Uh, top the list there. It's like Bowman the driver. Okay. Go ahead. I didn't hear what I you said. Much. I feel like Bowman the driver we hadn't haven't touched on yet today. Um, obviously, um, being at Hendrick Motorsports, their 40th season, I think every driver in that camp will want to have a big year. Um, Larson is currently the championship favorite. Um, via DraftKings Sportsbook odds, William Byron won last week. Chase Elliott, most popular driver. So I feel like it's one of those those times for Bowman to kind of step up and hopefully have a, a good season and be part of that as well. Absolutely. Okay, here's some track data uh, for Atlanta Motor Speedway. Uh, and it's 1.54 miles. Uh, banking at 28 degrees in turns one and two, 28 degrees in three and four. The back stretch has five degrees, front stretch 2.335. Um, and the, I'm sorry, the front stretch is 2.332. The back stretch is 1.8. I'm sorry, those are not points, that's thousands. Uh, the feet, 2,332 feet for the front stretch, stretch 1,800 feet for the back stretch. Um, they'll be racing 500.5 miles over 325 laps. Uh, first stage is 60 laps. The second is 100 laps. And the final stage is also going to be 100 laps. Uh, some of the records there, you've got track qualifying record. Jeffrey Bodine has that. 
in a Ford at 197.4478 miles per hour at 1997. Uh, Joey Logano uh, was the pole winner at the March race at that track, uh, and that was uh, in the March race last year. And then Bobby Labonte has the track race record uh, set in 1997 at 159.904 miles per hour. And the race winner uh, at that March race uh, was also Joey Logano. So that was just last year. Yeah, and I definitely think um, there's a reason why he's the betting favorite, right? Um, prior success there, definitely done well in the super speedways. Um, as long as he can keep it together in one piece seems to be the thing. And he was obviously pretty frustrated with how Daytona went for him, so looking for a little bit of redemption this weekend. Yes, indeed. Um, the top two drivers in starts, at Atlanta Motor Speedway are Kyle Busch and Martin Truex Jr. Uh, they both have 29 starts at that track, so those are going to be your most veteran drivers on the track this weekend. Uh, so that gives, their experience obviously gives them a little bit of advantage. Um, Joey Logano also has the most poles at that track, uh, and you've got four drivers with one pole apiece. That's Kyle Busch, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., Denny Hamlin, and Martin Truex Jr. So um, it'll be interesting to see who gets the poll this weekend. Uh, I've got a feeling it might be Joey Logano. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if, uh, if you were going to place a bet, I think I would take Logano for sure. Uh, Penske and Logano himself, uh, very successful there. Was on the poll last weekend. Um, we'll see if we'll, maybe, we'll, maybe we'll have an all-yellow car front row again with Logano and McDowell. So uh, kind of uh, looking forward to seeing how qualifying goes down um, on Saturday morning. Yeah, actually, Team Binsky leads all the all the teams in the number of polls they have at Atlanta at 10, followed by the Wood Brothers with 9, Stuart House Racing 6. Then you've got Hendrick Motorsports at 5. Joe Gibbs Racing and RFK both have 4, and Richard Childress with 3. So that's uh, kind of interesting. On the wins category... Uh, we've got uh, William Byron, Brad Keselowski, and Kyle Busch all have two wins at that track, while Joey Logano, Chase Elliott, Ryan Blaney, and Denny Hamlin all have one win on that track. So that's something to keep in mind when you're thinking about the stats there, too. Any other stats you want to make sure we have hit on here? I think that about covers it from my end of looking at the numbers. Okay. Uh, let's go to the race page here uh, for the Atlanta race. Uh, on this one, there's 37 teams uh, on the list for 40 spots, so it looks like all those drivers will make the uh, race this weekend. Some notables include the number 15 of Kaz Grala. Josh Williams is going to be in the number 16 and B.J. McLeod in the number 78 uh, for this weekend. So I gave you the, we'll look at the Goodyear notes again because their tire is going to be a little bit different than what it is for the uh, Trucks and Xfinity Series. 
It'll, again, the, the racing 260 laps, 400 miles. Um, they're using the Goodyear Eagle 18-inch super speedway radials. They'll get one set for qualifying and nine sets for the race. So that's eight sets plus the one transferred from qualifying. Uh, the left side code is uh, D5174, while the right side code is D5228. Uh, tire circumference on the left side is going to be 2,264 millimeters. That's 89.13 inches. On the right side, 89.69 inches. And the PSI, inflation, left front at 20, left rear at 22. The right front is 52 PSI, while the right rear is 50 PSI. So uh, it, a couple of other uh, things to note here. Um, it'll be the second straight super speedway race at uh, Atlanta Motor Speedway. Uh, they're now entrenched in that super speedway category meaning cup teams will run the same package that they ran at Daytona last week and that they will run at Talladega in April. Uh, the repave was in 2022 uh, and now has, they now have a really smooth racing service, which does not naturally wear on tires. Goodyear is countering that by bringing the tire with less tread thickness, uh, the gauge, uh, to help that process along. A uh, tire with less gauge allows more heat through the tread and run cooler, thus running at a more optimal grip level. So uh, just some notes there. Also, the new um, the new right side tire for cup cars at Atlanta bring that 18-inch uh, bead diameter on the tires. Cup teams will run a different tire setup than those in the Xfinity and Truck Series. Um, the left side tire code debuted at Atlanta last March. The right side code is featuring a construction update compared to what cup teams ran at Atlanta last season. This is the only track in which these teams are scheduled to run either of these two tire codes with the 18-inch tire, and it's a lower-profile sidewall. NASCAR cup cars will not run the liners in any of their tires this weekend. So just a few little uh, differentiating notes there uh, with regard to the tires this weekend for Atlanta. What about storylines, Brian? Um, I, think, I think for me, the or kind of the interesting stat that I just saw here was right. We were talking how Austin Hills won two of the four races at Atlanta since they repaved it. Well, we've got the same thing going on with um, one Mr. William Byron, who has won two of the four races um, at Atlanta since they repaved it. So I think for me, winning at Daytona last week, winning two of them four here, two of the four here since they repaved it. He's obviously, I think, my favorite going into the weekend. Logano um, won the spring race here last year, so he's the defending winner of this race. I would think he and Byron are probably my two favorites um, based on the stats. Um, the odds of DraftKings would support that as well. So I definitely think. You've got that as a storyline. I think, um, you know, you look at, I don't really think we had too many tempers flared, at least it seemed like, um, with anyone. So I don't know if there's any anything like that. Obviously, Atlanta's not really a track where you'd want to pay someone back anyway these days. Um, but I do think um, it'll be interesting. Um, I, I love how Ross Chastain went for it last week and tried to 
and just said that, yeah, that's that's what he was doing. His last lap, he's going for it. Um, love Chastain, love his attitude. Um, I know not, it's not everyone's cup of tea, but um, really like what we've seen from him lately. Um, I think um, another thing that I felt from Daytona last week, I thought Kevin Harvick was phenomenal in the booth. A great, great addition. And really excited mm-hmm. to see how he continues to develop um, throughout Fox's portion of the season. And I myself not had a chance to listen to it yet, but I've had a couple friends reach out and say that his podcast that debuted this week was phenomenal and should be um, listened to as well. Not necessarily a big podcast person myself, but going to have to pull that up as well. So I think Harvick's a great addition. I think I'm really excited to you know see his insight. And I think it's great that we've got an analyst up there in the booth that's been in the newer next gen car, right? Because we had, you know, Gordon and Clint, obviously very uh, pedigree drivers, but haven't been in that next-gen car. So I think being able to have, you know, Harvick's thoughts and opinions throughout the season I think are uh, are going to be pretty fantastic. Yeah, I agree with you. I think Harvick did a great job in the booth. I think he's a good addition to that booth. Um, one of my complaints is that they sometimes tend to get off off topic, if you will, and I'm tuning in to watch the race and not hear about the other things that are going on with their lives. So uh, I really like that uh, uh, Harvick is there uh, because I think he does a good job of keeping everybody on topic. Um, and uh, I agree with you about the races, too. William Byron is definitely one of the drivers to watch this weekend. Uh, we didn't uh, cover him a lot on, on some of these stats, but you brought up a great point, uh, Brian, that, you know, a lot of these stats are are stats that are from um, the history of Atlanta Motor Speedway compared to what the new reconfigured configuration is and William Byron certainly is at the top of the board when it comes to the new configuration he's he's really had a lot of success at that track so uh, definitely uh, want to keep an eye on what he does this weekend at uh, Atlanta um, we're looking at some of the other storylines here I was going down through I know NASCAR some of these are topics and we'll use this as kind of a a bridge, if you will, to our hot topic sound off segment that's going to come up here in the, in just a few minutes uh, with our fan for racing crew. Uh, and Brian, since you're not going to stay, uh, you might want to give your thoughts on some of these. NASCAR is going to examine the fuel saving strategy uh, that was used by some people during the uh, Daytona 500. We had a couple drivers kind of complaining about that. Uh, what do you think about NASCAR taking a look at that, considering that? not being a 100% racing rule. Yeah, I think fuel mileage races are, are, are fun when they happen from time to time. I don't think Daytona and Talladega are places where anyone tunes in to, to see that type of strategy play out. I think you want to see them racing three wide in the packs, and we got some fantastic racing in the last 60-ish laps uh, to the cup race, so maybe regardless of the final lap, but that was the right call. Just un- unfortunate the way that the caution had to come out there. Um, but I think, um, for me, I don't know what you do other than try to change around the stage lengths or maybe, you know, people have said kind of similar to how they did it with no actual caution coming out at the road courses. Maybe they do that at Daytona and Talladega. I definitely think it's worth a discussion because I don't think that them laying back and, you know, going 10, 15 miles an hour slower than they could be um, is what anyone really wants to see. 
um, I believe it was Hamlin on, on his podcast this week was saying, you know, that it, it really kind of affected the ability to kind of move up and through the pack. Um, some people, you know, pushed back on that and said, oh, you know, Kozlowski didn't have a problem doing it here and there. But I think um, for me, I don't really want to see a few mileage race at Daytona or Talladega. I think something that can, I, I don't know what the answer is, though, really. I mean, other than maybe eliminating the, the actual cautions for the stages. Yeah, I can argue both sides of this because I agree with you. I always hated it when I'd see drivers like Jimmy Johnson kind of laying in the back and and not really racing until the end of the race. Um, And uh, I've always felt it cheated fans who paid a lot of money to go to that race to watch their driver race, and they couldn't uh, uh, see him actually race. He was just kind of hanging out for most of the race and just racing at the end of it. Um, and I always felt they should prorate the race, uh, the price uh, for those drivers that do that. Um, but I, I do know that fuel saving is part of the strategy game that uh, uh, teams play. I don't think Daytona is the place to do it to the point that you make, but I know fuel strategy does play into races sometimes, and we're going to see it this weekend at Atlanta too. So I am curious to see what NASCAR is going to uh, say about about this i know denny hamlin was very vocal about it saying i wanted to race and they kept telling me to back off and save fuel and i've heard not recently but i in the past i have heard the same thing from brad keselowski when he was asked to kind of say stay back and save fuel and he wanted to race so i know eric jones was also uh, uh critical of the fuel saving strategy um, but I, I think strategy is part of racing as well. So I'm kind of on both sides of the fence on this one. I, When I go to the race, the way I personally feel is I think I should watch my driver go all out and try to win the race every every lap, um, put himself in the right position and, and be there at the end to, to win that race as part of that, I guess. But uh, I, I want to see him go on 100% if I'm going to pay that kind of money. All right, uh, Brian, I think you have to go now. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, that is true. i got to jump into a couple of meetings, but this is uh, great kind of being back um, on the show again this year. Looking forward to being on Hot Topics again in the future as well. Um, so you guys have a great next hour of the show. I'm sure there's going to be some great debate. I uh, look forward to listening in later today. Okay, thanks, Brian, and we'll talk to you again next uh, Thursday. Awesome. Have a great weekend. Okay, good night. All right, uh, joining us now for NASCAR Hot Topics, uh, we've got, uh, let's see, I've got Jay here for a few minutes. Hi, Jay. Well, good afternoon, okay. Sharon. Uh, you're right, I've got a few minutes here before I reach my destination and lose my cell phone and service, but it sounds like, it sounds like oh. Brian had his own hot topics there for the last couple minutes that I heard you all got into that. <laughs> Well, I kind of did a bridge into Hot Topics talking about the fuel strategy thing, and since I knew he was leaving, I thought I would have him give his perspective. Uh, But we've also got Andy here. Welcome, Andy. Yes, indeed. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm happy to have you here, as well as Jay, for a few minutes. And I'm also happy to have Mike Orzel on board. Welcome, Mike. Good afternoon. Yeah, glad to be here. All right. Uh, So let's go ahead and get into our hot topic conversation here. 
Uh, Mike, we'll start with you. Well, we were so covered up on Monday with topics from the Daytona 500, we didn't even get the chance to talk about two kind of big ones here. Uh, one was the confirmation that Front Row Motorsports is going to be uh, elevated to be a Tier 1 Ford manufacturer-supported team. Um, and then to go along with that, faith in Front Row Motorsports, apparently Michael McDowell has turned down several attempts by Stuart Haas Racing to draw him away from Front Row. So it seems like Front Row Motorsports is a team on the rise here. Okay. Um, Jay, what are your thoughts about that? Well, this is one, and I I don't want to specifically quote Mike uh, to this one specifically, but we've had discussions about other teams who I've expressed hope and see a future in that he doesn't. And I think this is one that a lot of people didn't back when you talked even a few years, three to five years back, what can Trunk Road Motorsports do? John Hunter Nemechek was there, an up-and-coming star. Couldn't get it done, left the program. I think you're seeing what they can and, obviously, what Ford sees that they can. We've seen them gone, go from out there running to running well to winning races, uh, starting with the Daytona 500 with Michael McDowell. Take that aside. We call it the opportunity race. But we saw him win race a uh, race last year and be in the playoffs with it. Again, he was not one of the final four. Uh, I don't remember if he was eliminated in the first round, but they had a good run into the playoffs of multiple good finishes and also a top ten of a good finish and being in contention. They're not to the top-level championship contending team yet, but I think we see it coming. And I think there are other teams that, Maybe not at the same level or taking the same steps, but when you talk about Spire Motorsports, Rick Ware Racing, I, I'm not saying they're there where we're going to see them running, although Justin Haley was at least up front, but that's what I like to see. So I take it as a very positive sign, um, and I think that we've already seen the level they're at. They're winning a race here and there, contending for top 10, top finishes with this next step. I think we could see that they become a championship or deeper run into the playoffs anyway, playoff contender. We'll put it that way, not championship contender next, but playoff contender. Okay, Andy, your thoughts? I think this has really been a long time coming. Front Row Motorsports isn't a new team. They've been around the sport for, um, I think probably at least a decade and a half, if not over two decades, it's certainly, you know, been a long time that they've been around. And, you know, I think that the goal was to never be a, a back of the pack team. You know, it, it obviously takes a long time to come to relevance in the cup series. And I think this is just a product of years and years of hard work. You know, again, this isn't a new team. This, this is an organization that's been around a long time. They kind of, um, if I remember right, this team kind of morphed out of, you know, what was left of Yates racing back in the mid to late 2000s, you know, with, I think, David Gilliland drove for him. And I remember the Long John Silver's car. So we're talking quite a while ago, Um, you know, and I think that in recent years, you've seen them, you know, obviously get better and better, you know, certainly with the advent of the truck program, which has won a championship. Um, and they've won numerous truck races over the last several years. You know, I think bringing Michael McDowell into that program, 
you know, certainly elevated that program. It's no secret, you know, in my opinion, that McDowell isn't a bad driver, an obvious threat on a road course every single year. You know, he proved it by outright winning Indianapolis last year. That wasn't handed to him. He won that race fair and square. Um, You know, and, and I think that, you know, with the elevation and perhaps the reward for their efforts into the tier one program at Ford, um, and I believe now they have a strong technical alliance with Team Penske, you know, that's going to probably put them in the best position they've ever been in going into this season. And, you know, I didn't think they ran that bad last year. They actually were fairly respectable. So, you know, with the elevation and what they've been given by Ford and with Team Penske, I, I don't think you can, you know, I think, well, I guess you, you can't, you can't underestimate them now. I think you have to start taking them seriously because um, I I really think, especially with the 34 car, you know, they're going to do really well. And Todd Gilliland, we know what he's been able to do in the truck series, um, you know, and he's, he's a pretty competitive driver. So I expect that he's going to be better this year too. So I think it's time that we start taking front row seriously. I'm not going to put them in a, a Hendrick or a team Penske category yet, but I definitely think that this is a team that might be able to win multiple races this year, at least a couple, three. And I, I don't think that would be the least bit surprising. Um, obviously, you know, Mike loves to, uh, loves to look down on SHR. That's his prerogative certainly. But um, as far as Michael McDowell supposedly turning them down multiple times, in my opinion, you know, I think it's okay for a driver to be content where he works, which in his case is front row motorsports. And I think because of the opportunity they gave him, you know, a few seasons ago, he probably feels obligated to see it through and help grow that team rather than bail and go somewhere else. That may not be right, but that's my opinion. Um, you know, and certainly that's the home that Michael feels is the best fit. And I think that, you know, especially now with the the level of, um, performance increase with that team. Uh, I think it's a good fit for both the team owner and, and for Michael. So I, I don't see any reason why, you know, that wouldn't be good for him uh, for many years to come, or at least until he retires. Okay. Yeah. I agree with everything you guys have said so far. I think it was, a, it, it, we knew this was going to happen sooner or later uh, because they have been running so much better uh, than in their earlier years as they were making that transition. Uh, You mentioned some other teams with Yates and so forth. Um, But yeah, I think this was, this was uh, kind of expected at some point uh, and that they're going to, they're not going to have the alliance with RFK. Their alliance is now going to be with team Penske is part of this story. I think that's a good move. Uh, Team Penske has had uh, some success with Joey Logano and Austin Sendrick and, um, uh, receive RFK racing absolutely improving with Brad Keselowski and Chris Busher. So I, I look for good things from them. Um, so I think it's a win-win all the way around there. As far as the story with Michael McDowell, I think it comes from a fairly reliable source. It was heard uh, as an interesting fact this morning listening to Larry Mack um, somebody from Reddit posted that, that uh, I believe Mike put that up there uh, that Stuart Haas has attempted to hire Michael McDowell numerous times in the past few, past few seasons. He's repetitively uh, turned them down, and it speaks volumes to the culture of the team at Front Row Motorsports. 
Yeah, Michael McDowell is a very loyal guy. He has, He's probably one of the drivers, uh, from what I can see now, I'm on the outside looking in, but he seems to me like he's got a very high integrity level. So to leave the team and go to another team uh, would be something that I don't see Michael McDowell doing. Uh, and it would have to be something uh, that he could do on his terms if he were going to do that. But the fact that SHR was trying to recruit him into their organization, I think, speaks volumes. Um, and I think also speaking volumes is what Michael McDowell has done at Front Row Motorsports. He's brought success to that organization and to himself in that organization. So uh, I, I think um, there's a reason that they were trying to get him to come over. Uh, but I'm glad that he's staying at Front Row Motorsports. I like seeing Front Row Motorsports be competitive on the track. Zane Smith over there, too. I know Zane's a good driver, so I can't wait to see what he does. Um, and uh, I just think um, this is a good move, not to repeat what everybody else has said, but uh, I'm looking forward to watching it play out. Mike, what are your thoughts? Well, first, I want to correct the record here. Jay seemed to imply that I always considered Front Row to be in the same category as Rick Ware and Spire prior to their current, I would say, reinvention as a competitive team, or at least a desire to be competitive team. That's not the case. The other thing I want to point out is that Jay's incorrect. Michael McDowell's Daytona 500 win was not the first win for Front Row Motorsports. In fact, that team is far older than I think a lot of people remember. Their team got its start right around 2012 or so, and they went through multiple drivers there. They actually got their first win with David Reagan at Talladega in the, all the way back in 2013, over 10 years, almost, almost 10 years before Michael McDowell got his breakthrough win at the Daytona 500. Also, don't forget that Chris Buescher got his first career win driving the front row motorsports number 34 in that fog-shortened Pocono race back in, I believe it was 2016. So front row has been around for a long time. I think they've always been more serious than especially Rick Ware Racing when it comes to performing well, being competitive, and eventually winning races. I still don't think Rick Ware Racing is a serious organization who uh, has serious designs to ever be a championship com uh, com competing NASCAR Cup Series team, whereas I do believe Front Row Motorsports at least aspires to be in the position to contend for more wins and eventually Cup Series championships. So I think this is a, a move in the right direction for them. I, I agree that it has been a long time coming, and I'm wondering, I, I haven't heard whether that means that somebody else is losing out, Ford is taking away some support from other teams like Stuart Haas Racing, or if it means that Ford is expanding their Tier 1 program to include now Front Row Motorsports, as well as the previous four teams of Team Penske and Stuart Haas Racing, who received similar support from Ford. Uh, we did see some results this, uh, this weekend at the Daytona 500. The Front Row cars ran very well. Uh, Kaz Brawley got caught up in a wreck early, early in the race, but the other two Front Row cars were competitive throughout the, throughout the race uh, until Michael McDowell had his engine issues. But David Gilland was up front towards the end of the race doing very, very well. So, Obviously, the Daytona 500 is never a good barometer for how a team is going to run throughout the year. We're going to have to wait and see. Probably not even Atlanta is going to give us a good look at what we can expect from these teams, not just front row, but all of them going into the overall 2024 season. So we're probably going to have to wait another six weeks, two months or so to really get a feel for what front row is going to look like as a competitive team from week in to week out. But it does seem like they're a team on the rise. So I do look forward to seeing what they're able to do with this opportunity. Okay, Jay, you're still here. 
let's uh, hear your follow-up. Yeah, I got a couple minutes in it. And I was, that's why I said I did say I didn't know where Mike ranked them compared to. I just know that we go to Rick Ware Racing, not to that level, but not at the top. And, and I agree, they're not at the top yet, but they are building, and I think this gives them another huge building block. So w- the other thing I wanted to hit on before I got to jump off here, it has been said, so I do need to repeat it, but I do admire Michael McDowell's loyalty and commitment. Uh, when we talk about that of declining to go over to SHR, it's one of those of, for one, the grass isn't always greener. Just pointed out, they won a race last year, SHR did not. So uh, from that aspect, if you look at it, made the right decision. And going back to of some drivers or people want to be a part of building something rather than walking into being handed the keys to, say, that uh, Hendrick Motorsports, number nine or 24 yes it is a great opportunity but that's already been established versus what michael mcdowell has with front row motorsports is being part of building it so there's a difference different value to that um and and that even goes to shr obviously they they struggled but they have a an established team whereas front row motorsports is still on the rise as mike said in building so i think that goes to his personality and again, values and desires out of life. Uh, and I admire that. And with that, I appreciate the 10, 15 minutes or whatever I got today, but I also have to hit the road here or actually get off the road and head inside, but appreciate it. Uh, I miss it. I know there's a couple other hot topics. I put some comments up if y'all bring them up, but I'll go back and listen to them because I think there's some other good hot topics coming. So y'all stay, stay tuned in if you can. <laughs> Thank you, Jay, for taking the time. We really appreciate it, and uh, drive safe. All right. Thank you. All right. Andy, your follow-up. Nothing to really add to this one, honestly. Um, You know, I just think overall this is a good fit for McDowell, and, you know, I think that, you know, back when he signed with this team a few years ago, he had been out of a ride and was running a limited schedule, if I remember correctly. Um, and they gave him a chance to return to full-time Cup Series competition. So I just think from that standpoint, you know, he probably feels like he owes them, you know, he owes that team his driving services. And, you know, to your point, it might have been your point or Jay's point, you know, he's able to help build that team and kind of be the A driver over there. So it seems like a good scenario, especially now, given the level of support they're getting, which is more than they've ever had. I I, I think it, you have to look at them as, as, you know, actual contenders this year. And, you know, certainly I think they they might be able to earn a playoff spot um, without just winning a random race here and there. They might actually run well enough to, to be a playoff contender throughout the year. I honestly think they could be potentially that decent. So um, it just seems like a good fit for both the team and the driver. Okay. Um, Mike, you get the final word here. I think Andy really hit on the, the, the litmus test for Front Row Motorsports this year. They have made the playoffs in the past via one-off wins with Michael McDowell at the Daytona 500, as well as Michael McDowell again last year winning the Indianapolis road course race. However, both times they really – I'm not going to say they didn't belong there because obviously they, they did. They won the race and they qualified. But in terms of – 
competitiveness against their fellow playoff teams, they really weren't up to par with those other teams that were in the Cup Series playoffs. So I think that's going to be a good litmus test this year is, A, does front row qualify for the playoffs by virtue of consistent strong performance as opposed to a one-off win? And B, if they do qualify for the playoffs, are they able to defend themselves against those other playoff teams and put together a showing in the playoffs that shows that they deserve to be there in the first place? I think that's really the litmus test that we need to look at to see how well front row has continued to develop and where they may be going as an organization. So that's what I'm going to be looking for this year. All right. Andy, what's our next top topic? Well, this is one that I actually was itching to talk about when it was first announced over the off season. And we got, I think, so uh, engrossed in Daytona speed weeks, it hasn't come up yet. But in light of Ray Everham appearing on the Dale Jr. download, we really got to talk about um, the demise of SRX, which was a huge surprise over the off season. All right, Mike, your thoughts about that? I know a lot of us have read that article. Yeah, it was a real shame and a big disappointment a few weeks ago when SRX very suddenly and abruptly announced that they wouldn't be running the 2024 season. Now, they didn't outright say that it's over and the series isn't coming back, but between the lines, it really looks like this is the end of the road for the SRX. Uh, I hate to see it. It was some really fun racing to watch. Uh, It was... I wouldn't say it was unapologetically sports entertainment, but it was racing that didn't take itself too seriously. It was a lot of fun. It was entertaining. We got to see some great drivers and great personalities out there running on a, I wouldn't say no stakes kind of race, but mostly fun was the the primary consideration there. And all the way up to the point where they announced that they weren't doing a 2024 season, it seemed like it was on. They They had announced several tracks. They had announced several drivers. Uh, and things were starting to take shape for the 2024 season. So losing that so abruptly was really kind of a shock and very disappointing for guys like me, Andy, and everybody else who really enjoyed watching SRX. With regard to Ray Everham, that uh, that timing also coincided with the announcement that Ray had bought the intellectual property for the IROC series and with the intent of, of bringing back IROC in some capacity. Back with Ray's interview now in the Dale Jr. Download, it sounds like there was some definite creative differences as far as the direction that Tony and other people within SRX wanted to go, as opposed to Ray Everham, who was a co-founder of the series, which ended up leading to Ray's departure. I don't know if any one of those factors or what combination of them is what led to the eventual failure of SRX, but I think that the challenge here is for how does Ray come back, bring back IROC, which by its very nature and the construction, it looks very similar to what SRX is. How does Ray bring back IROC in a way that doesn't fall victim to the same things that doomed SRX? I wish him the very best, and I really do hope that Ray Abraham's new IROC series, it is the same kind of fun and entertainment and excitement and, and just the joy of racing that we got out of SRX. I really hope that that comes back with IROC. So I look forward to seeing what Ray Abraham has to bring for us. Yeah, I agree. Um, I know IROC sometimes takes a, a rap uh, for the cars being all the same and, you know, the, the racing not that good. But I think that there are ways that they can deal with that to make it more entertaining. And you mentioned a lot of those kind of things, Mike. Um, the drivers being lighthearted and, and not taking it so seriously, if you will. And his dream was to bring back 
uh, former stars of the sport and giving them a chance to ride a uh, race in a car. And one of the things he said was that he didn't want uh, he didn't want them going over 150 miles an hour. He, he thought 180 miles was too fast for those drivers that were older, uh, but were future stars. Uh, and he wanted to keep the speed limit at uh, 150 or lower. Short tracks, uh, not super speedways. Um, and so I think I think those couple of things are uh, things that will make it a little more interesting uh, than what we saw with IROC on on like super speedway or or on road course. So I think he's on the right track with some of the things that he talks about in there. Um, one of the things that I thought was interesting that he mentioned is that he didn't want so many NASCAR drivers to be uh, part of the SRX. He wanted them to be there, but he did not want them to be there uh, to take over the series, if you will. He wanted, and he felt like there were they were a little bit too present uh, in the SRX series, and that he wanted it to be more to feature. Uh, stars of other forms of racing. He wanted more IndyCar and and uh, maybe even short track racers and and local racing stars was one of the things that he mentioned. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out, especially with the High Rock brand, um, because it, there are some things that he talks about that takes it away from what we traditionally know High Rock to be. Uh, but I think the things that will make it more interesting and entertaining for us as fans. And it wouldn't surprise me if we don't see some of what we saw in the SRX um, uh, to the points that I was just making about getting some of the local stars involved in the race and, and uh, uh, some of the older drivers involved in the racing, along with some of the newer stars. I know they brought in um, – I don't know if he was in favor of this or not, but they brought in Haley Deegan, who is a much younger driver. She's not a former star, uh, but she is a name. She has the name recognition. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how he plays this out as we continue to see this move forward. I'm I'm kind of excited for it because I like the six race series. It had a limited time value on it. Uh, it was something that they they designed it to be something that you could watch around the NASCAR racing, and I thought that was good. I, I know Ray Everham also talked about the fact that he wanted um, uh, it to be in conjunction with the NASCAR races. So while NASCAR is at Daytona, or let's say Martinsville is a better example because that's a short track, while they're at Martinsville, is there a way we can get an IROC race in there? Uh, during that weekend. So I think that makes a lot of sense as well. So we'll see how it plays out. I, I'm kind of intrigued by the whole thing and looking forward to seeing uh, what he does. Andy, what are your thoughts? Well, I, I think for me it was just a complete surprise because for the 2024 season, they had already announced, I think, five of their six race dates in tracks and we're on track for a new season, and there was a lot of excitement, um, you know, surrounding the upcoming season, and then all of a sudden it very abruptly just ended, which was very perplexing to me, which which tells me that, you know, something obviously happened, you know, late in the game um, to facilitate that. So it, it's disappointing for sure because I thoroughly enjoyed the series, Um 
you know, the first three years of it were great. You know, something that I looked forward to every summer because it, it wasn't too much of a good thing. It was only six races, which, you know, left you felt, you know, feeling like you wanted more. So um, I really enjoyed it. And I, I didn't really, you know, see any formatting issues with it. You know, Ray talked about, you know, a, a, some differences between the year he was involved versus when he wasn't involved. And, you know, I don't 100% know what some of those differences were outside of some driver changes and whatnot. But certainly I think, you know, it's too bad that his vision, you know, wasn't coming to fruition. And it was nice to hear at least his side of why he wasn't a part of SRX after the first year because a lot of us certainly wanted to know why he was no longer a part of it, you know, something that he helped create. So, um, but, yeah, hopefully, you know, there's some kind of revival of that or at least maybe now we'll get, you know, raise IROC series to come and, and fill that void. But, you know, having that um, that six-race summer series was a lot of fun, and, you know, I hate to see it go away. I hope that one day we'll learn the, the true reasons why SRX failed um, because it just seems very perplexing to me that it would abruptly go away like that. But, uh, yeah, it was fun while it lasted, and, and hopefully we get something um, in its equivalent to replace it moving forward. Mike? Your follow-up. I'm sure, it, it, as with most things in racing, it comes down to money, right? I'm I'm willing to bet that they were going into the 2024 season and making schedules and announcing things based on the presumption of some sort of a revenue stream, whether it be TV or something along those lines. They were expecting something to happen that ended up not happening. That'd be my guess as to why they abruptly pulled the plug like that. Either way, it doesn't. From, from our perspective as race fans, it doesn't really matter. The unfortunate part is we lost the racing series that a lot of us really enjoyed. I know I had a lot of fun watching SRX races. We watched uh, Andy and I watched a lot together, commenting on them, and we just we had fun watching them. So losing that series was really disappointing, especially with the abrupt way that it, it came to pass. It was unexpected and, and, like I said, really disappointing from there. Um, as far as what we get back in the IROC series. Time's, time's going to tell there, right? We don't know because they're really, aside from the fact that Ray has said he wants to do a couple classic races and things like that, there really hasn't been any firm announcements as far as what the future of IROC is going to look like from a long-term perspective. So I do look forward to seeing what Ray Everham does come up with for IROC because he's been successful in pretty much everything he's done in the past. So I expect him to have similar success going into IROC. I look forward to seeing what he brings us. All right. I don't have a whole lot to add other than I agree with you guys. I, I'm sad that SRX went away. Um, I was enjoying watching it as well. I just, um, uh, and I don't know why it went away to Mike's point. Someday I hope we do find out if me and Andy said. Um, so we'll just wait and see uh, if that story, uh, we get to hear the rest of that story or not. But I am looking forward to seeing what happens with the IROC series and if it does fill that void. Uh, Andy, you get the final word. Yeah, I just, um, I guess, would be left wanting to know, you know, what happened to SRX as far as their demise. Um, that's probably the remaining big question that I would have. You know, maybe one day we'll get to learn about that if they um, bring in, like, Donald Hawk or somebody on a podcast to talk about it. I always thought that, that he did a good job in the role as CEO, um, you know, but I would have to imagine that the decisions of the series, you know, were left to, 
to people behind the scenes, investors, the owners, whoever, I don't know, but, uh, you know, I'm sure Tony Stewart knows quite a bit about it. And, um, you know, we haven't heard what he's had to say about that. In fact, he's been surprisingly quiet about the whole thing, which is kind of strange, but I don't know. It's just too bad. Something that was always fun to look forward to. And all I can say is I I look forward to whatever may replace it To, to Mike's point. Um, Ray Everham's always been really successful with everything that he's touched. So hopefully whatever series he comes up with, um, he can have more control in it and they can follow his vision. And uh, maybe that will have long-term success. All right. Mike, you get to bring up our next hot topic. Sure. This is a follow-up of a topic that we had on, um, what was it? Monday. And, we talked about it a little bit then. Uh, Tuesday, you're right. Monday, we were all watching the Daytona 500. But, yeah, Monday, we started, uh, Tuesday, we talked about the fuel savings in the Daytona 500 and how some drivers were unhappy about it. But yesterday, Dustin Long posted that NASCAR is looking into the fuel saving. He didn't say exactly what they were going to do about it, if they were going to do anything. But now NASCAR is getting involved in the fuel saving for the Daytona 500. And I know you and Brian talked about it briefly before the hot topic statement began. So I'm wondering what your thoughts on it are now. <laughs> okay. Well, let's, let's start with Andy. I'm sorry. I, I completely spaced out there for a minute. I was reading something. What was the topic again? Uh, the, the fuel saving. From that we had the conversation on Tuesday about fuel saving, how some of the drivers were complaining about it. Well, now Dustin Long has come back, and I've seen it in other places as well, that NASCAR is looking into the fuel saving strategy uh, and uh, whether or not it violates that 100% rule or something. Uh, anyway, they're looking into it and trying to uh, establish whether or not they think that should happen or not. So here's the thing, no matter what NASCAR tries to do, and I also read something to the effect of them changing the fuel cell size to try to eliminate fuel strategy, no matter what you do, NASCAR teams are going to look for a competitive advantage, and they will find a way to maximize whatever fuel cell size they're given to stretch the fuel even just a lap or two longer than the next competitor to try to gain a competitive advantage. Engineers... And and these teams, with all the technology they have today, will do whatever it takes to find some loophole and some advantage to beat the next guy. So I don't really know that there's a whole lot that can be done um, unless NASCAR starts monitoring, uh, which they can do with SMT. They could start monitoring um, drivers' use of an accelerator and brake and and start making determinations on the 100% rule, which I think would be a big mistake because – those are all judgment calls, which may or may not be um, correct decisions. So I would really hate to see it go that way as far as, you know, nonstop penalties. Um, I don't know. I I really didn't have a problem with the fuel savings. I think it's just part of the deal. Um, you know, it's, it's always been a part of racing. I think I said it the other night that, you know, going back however long I've been watching this sport, there's always been – fuel mileage races and saving fuel and this and that. And I I do think it was more amplified in the Daytona 500 this year than perhaps what we've seen in years past, but I don't really have a problem with it. I think it's just part of racing. So um, I just, like I I think I said the other night, you know, it's just something else for these drivers to whine about, I guess. But I, 
I think it's just the name of the game, you know. So I don't, I don't really know what the solution would be to eliminate it, other than forcing the drivers to put the foot to the floor. I guess I don't, I don't really know, but um, I, I just don't see how you're going to eliminate it because no matter what changes you make, teams will still find a way to circumvent it and, and you know, utilize technology to find whatever advantage they can. So I, I don't see this completely going away as far as having to employ fuel savings uh, strategies in the course of a race. All right. I'm going to kind of repeat a little bit of what I said on Monday night and then also what Brian said and, uh, again, what I said today uh, when Brian and I talked about this. Um, I, I, I'm i on both sides of the fence on this one. I can see both sides, and I certainly appreciate the side that you're talking about. Um that this is just part of racing, it's part of the strategy of the game, uh, and all of that. Uh, I get that, I, I can appreciate that, but on the other side of that coin, if I think about this from from um, uh, a different perspective, uh, I think, especially Daytona 500, a lot of people don't pay to watch drivers run in the back, especially for a race like the Daytona 500, and I think that's the point that Brian was making, is that other tracks, yeah, fuel saving strategy might be the thing. But at a track like Daytona, you expect to see the drivers out there racing full force. And my thing has always been, and, and this goes back to the Jimmy Johnson days, I hated it when he raced at the back of the pack and showed up at the end of the race. Um, I didn't feel like that was displaying his best uh, skills as a race car driver. I felt like the fans were being cheated. And I think that when you pay the kind of money that you pay to go to some of these racetracks, you expect to see your driver out there racing with all of the other drivers. Yeah, I want my driver to win. Yeah, I want my driver to be there at the end. But I want him to do something besides saving fuel to do that um, because that takes no skill at all. I can ride out there and ride at the back of the pack uh, and save fuel all day long. Uh, I don't know that I could be there at the end, even if I did that. But that shows, to me, not a lot of skill. Um, and I think there are some drivers, like Derek Jones and and, and uh, Denny Hamlin, and I've even heard Brad Keselowski on the radio when he's been asked to slow down and, and, and uh, save some fuel. He, they want to be out there racing. They want to be up there racing. That's what they are. They're race car drivers, and they want to be out there racing. Uh, and I think Brian was more on that side of it, especially at a track like Daytona. Daytona and Talladega should not be fuel-saving tracks. Um, they should be tracks where the drivers are out there racing each other, working with each other like they do, and uh, trying to, to be there for the stage points, trying to be there for the um, uh, win and all of that. I understand why they don't. So, again, I'm on both sides of the fence here. I understand why they don't want to be up there because nobody wants to be caught in the big one. So I get it. But at the same time, I think the fans are being cheated. I think the fans are being cheated big time by not seeing their driver out there racing, and especially for the kind of money they ask for tracks like Daytona. So I think I pretty much covered what Brian said and what – what my thoughts are. Mike, what are your thoughts? 
Uh, I am vehemently, aggressively, possibly even violently against NASCAR getting involved here. This is absolutely 1 million percent not somewhere where they should stick their nose. And if people want to try and cite the so-called 100 percent rule, well, you need to remember what that rule says. And this is paraphrasing because I don't have the rule book in front of me because NASCAR doesn't publish the rule book. The 100 percent rule implies that teams must give 100 percent effort to win the race. Period. And how do you win the race? Sometimes you win the race by driving as hard as you can and as fast as you can. But just as often, you win the race by having a strong strategy, which can include saving fuel. And to try and say that because they're not running the cars, 100% of the car's capability at all times, that it somehow invalidates this 100% rule is just simply not correct. NASCAR wants teams to give their best effort to win the race. That rule came about because of Michael Waltrip Motorsports having a driver intentionally spin his car out in order to manipulate the outcome of the race to benefit a teammate. It had nothing to do with fuel saving. It had nothing to do with riding around in the back. I totally understand that it's not the most entertaining or exciting thing for fans to see their favorite driver hanging around in the back to try and avoid the, the, the potential wrecks at the front of the pack. I get it. But at the same time, to try and obligate a driver to drive a race car in a certain way, I think that a Pandora's box that has almost a 100% likelihood of doing far more harm than good. At some point, if NASCAR says, you've got to run these cars at 100% all the time, what's the point of having drivers? What's the point of having teams? Why don't we just go out there and, and have, build the cars however you want and then have, it, have them automated to run at 100% of their mechanical ability at all the time. That takes away the discretion of the driver to drive the car in a certain way that makes the most sense. It takes away the discretion of the race team to conduct the strategy of the race in the way that they feel gives them the best opportunity to be there to win the race at the end. You don't win the race on lap 100 of the Daytona 500. You win the race on lap 200 at the end of the race. What you do all the way from lap one to lap 199 is what puts you in the position to win the race. And if that involves avoiding wrecks at the back of the pack, or if that involves saving fuel to minimize pit stops or time on pit road, you need to do in order to be in position to win the race at the end of lap 200. So I get the fans' argument that some portions of the Daytona 500 weren't as fast as they would want to see. And, in fact, I complained about how qualifying was too slow, but that's a completely different yeah. discussion because of the, the mechanical limitations that NASCAR's put on the car. But for the race pace to be slow like that was a result of strategy of teams who were trying to win the Daytona 500. This wasn't cheating. This wasn't manipulating the race. This wasn't anything underhanded. This was exclusively a result of a strategy that teams were employing to try to win the Daytona 500. So for NASCAR to get involved here, I think would be, I think it's a mistake that it's, they, they've even made mention that they're looking at anything here because all that does is, like I said, a Pandora's box that we absolutely do not want open. You want to talk about race manipulation, it doesn't get much more manipulative than that. Andy? I I don't know that I can say it any better than Mike did. <laughs> Honestly, like, I, I completely agree with that statement because while not popular, I mean – fuel strategy and saving fuel is still putting in the effort to try to win the race. So I'm not going to repeat everything Mike said because he did a very fine job in explaining it, but I, I don't really have a problem with it. It's been a part of racing for years and years. And, and honestly, 
you know, no matter what you try to do, I think teams are always going to employ ways to, you know, to use strategy to try to win these races. So if you give the teams a smaller fuel cell, they'll still try to save fuel. If you give them a bigger fuel cell, they'll still try to save fuel. They'll still try to find the upper hand to beat the next competitor. So no matter what you do, engineers and, and these, these teams with all this technology are still going to find ways to try to beat the next guy. And, and to that point, it's still trying to win the race. You're still putting forth 100% effort to try to win. So well said, Mike. I don't need to say any more than that because that was a good explanation. And honestly, I, I completely agree with that. Okay, I'll raise my hand. I'm going to 100% disagree that NASCAR should not be involved. This is their business. This is their business. And when drivers are out there saying there's a problem with people, uh, the increased fuel saving among the drivers, NASCAR has to say something. They can't just sit back and let drivers out there talking about stuff like that and they not get involved. Now, they might end up doing absolutely nothing, and that's that's their right, but they might look at it and listen. One of the things that NASCAR has said vehemently over the last several years is that they listen to the drivers, they listen to the fans, and they try to do what they feel is the right thing to do. You've got drivers out there like Eric Jones, like Jenny Hamlin, like whoever else stood out there and said that. You've got to address it. NASCAR can't just sit back and let them make that be an issue. You've got to address it and think they did the right thing by addressing it. I think that it, that it shows that they are listening to the drivers. They're listening to the fans, and the fans, plenty of fans have had an opinion on this, and I've heard both sides of it. Um, and I think that NASCAR is doing the right thing. If it was my business, I would probably do the same thing. So I 100% disagree that NASCAR should not be involved in sticking their nose in. Uh, and let's be clear, NASCAR has not said anything about violating the 100% rule. Mike said that, if, and he said it in the form of if they try to say that this violates. NASCAR hasn't said that. So at least I've not seen it. If I'm wrong, point it out to me, but I've not seen anywhere where NASCAR had said that. So I think that they're addressing what the driver's concern is, and I think they should address what the driver's concerns are. And um, uh, and, and uh, I think that's exactly what they're doing. So I'm going to take the other side of the coin on that one and just say that I think NASCAR should be involved, and I think they should address what driver's concerns are. Mike? I'm not the only one who's saying that that, that the argument is. Well, I'm not the only one saying what I'm saying either. <laughs> right, but okay. So let's let's look at this here. <laughs> Aside from limiting the the size of the fuel cell, which Andy already addressed to the point that no matter what size you make the fuel cell, teams are going to try and save fuel for the same reasons that they're saving fuel right now. So adjusting the size of the fuel cell really isn't going to make a difference. So now what are you going to do? Is NASCAR going to obligate drivers that they must drive their car in a certain way? Aside from things that, that affect safety, like you're, you're not allowed to right rear your fellow competitor into the fence, I don't think that NASCAR has any place telling teams or drivers how they should be driving their cars, especially when the drivers Mike, and the teams are driving those cars in a way to win the race. Let me interrupt for just a minute. Mike, let me interrupt for a minute. 
you're assuming that NASCAR is going to do something. Do we know that NASCAR is going to do that? We don't. Well, no, but we don't know that NASCAR is going to do. They may do nothing. NASCAR may do nothing. So we can't. My point is, there's a a lot of people who are saying NASCAR should. Well, you can speculate on what you think NASCAR is going to do, but you have no idea what NASCAR is going to do at this point. None whatsoever. Well, that's why I'm trying to run through the hypotheticals. Okay. I did read that Uh, Elton Sawyer. Andy, go ahead, Andy. um, um, Elton Sawyer did say they were looking into the fuel cell side, so that means they are looking at doing something. Now, as far as the 100% rule and stuff, no, they haven't said anything about that. But they are talking about looking at fuel cell sizes and stuff, which means they are looking into this. So it sounds like they are going to try to, try to make – right, but that implies that they're thinking about looking at something. So NASCAR's looking at it yeah. at the point. They're looking at it. They have not decided what they're going to do yet. They may look at it and say, nope, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, they can look at it, but we don't know that that's what they're going to do. But I think they should look at it. Go ahead, Mike. Well, if I can continue, I wasn't saying that any of these things are what NASCAR is or should do. I'm I'm asking the hypothetical of those fans who are saying that NASCAR should do something. I'm trying to explore the hypothetical things that NASCAR could do to appease those fans. So that's that's where I was okay, coming from with that. Okay, that's more clear. <laughs> that's right. more clear. So, this is pure speculation on your part. Right. So along those lines, back to the discussion of, aside from limiting the size of the fuel cell, which Andy already addressed, what can NASCAR do? Or that that's that's the question I would like to have answered by these fans who are saying they want NASCAR to step in and air quotes do something about this fuel saving. I'm not even going to say fuel saving problem because I don't see it as a problem. I see it as a legitimate strategy to win a race that may not be the most entertaining thing for fans, but we're talking about racing here. So if they want to open the the Pandora's box of meddling in a race and manipulating the outcome of a race via doing something like this, well, okay, what's the next step NASCAR to do that won't outright look like that they are manipulating the race, if not outright rigging the outcome. That's what I'd like to hear. So I don't think this is going to go anywhere, even including a fuel cell size change. I don't think, I don't think that's going anywhere either. And I really, really, really hope it doesn't because they're not going to solve this non-problem no matter what they do. Teams are always going to do the strategy that they feel will best put them in a position to win the race. So meddling here, I think, is just going to do more harm than good. And I hope this issue dies out quickly. And let's be clear once again, it's not just the fans that are complaining. You've got drivers out there that are complaining about this as well. So, uh, again, I think NASCAR needs to be involved. So that's uh, not just fans. It's it's the drivers. So, Andy, what's our next top topic? Uh, let's see. Carson Quaffle is set to make his Xfinity Series debut for JRM at Martinsville this year. Okay. Mike? 
I really don't have a whole lot of a, a, an opinion on this one. I mean, I know Carson Poffel has done a few uh, truck series starts and, and things like that. I don't really have a good read for the guy as far as potential, what he's going to bring to the table, whether I think this is going to be some sort of a, a, the next big guy over at JRM or not. I wish him the very best, but to be honest, I, can't, I don't really have a strong opinion one way or the other on him. Okay. Um, yeah, I would agree. I think it's great that he's doing that. Uh, he's going to be with the Junior Motorsports number 88 in the Xfinity Series at Martinsville. It's a short track. Carson's very good on the short tracks. Um, and we've seen a lot of drivers get their start this way. And, and uh, yeah, he's done some truck series races, and now he's coming to the Xfinity Series. And this is the way that they do it. <laughs> they, they start out usually at Martinsville, a short track, and uh, get their feet wet, if you will. And I'm, I'm just looking forward to seeing what he does. So Carson Quapo is a family name in racing. I remember watching his dad race, and now I'm looking forward to watching him race. Andy? Well, to me, that's the real story here. is isn't so much that he's making his Xfinity Series debut, but it's that I'm officially old because I just remember – when his dad, Travis, and um, Travis Quapple and Scott Riggs were, you know, both new drivers to NASCAR, mm-hmm. and now the kids are in NASCAR. So, um, but, yeah, a good opportunity, obviously, uh, getting in a JRM Xfinity car is, is a good scenario for him. Um, you know, I think he's a late model driver, if I'm not mistaken. So, probably making your debut at Martinsville is a good fit for him. And, it, yeah, it's cool to, see, cool to see somebody get an opportunity like that, and, and hopefully he runs well. All right. Uh, Mike, your follow-up. Well, there's no denying that from an equipment standpoint, at least, he's going to have one of the better opportunities to succeed. It's hard to get better equipment than Dale Earnhardt uh, uh, Junior Motorsports equipment. Uh, Martinsville, though, is a challenging track, even with a guy with a late model background and a short track background. Martinsville is famously unforgiving and difficult on rookies. So I guess the other side of that coin is if you can do well at Martinsville, things speak pretty well for your ability to do well at other places in the future. So I think uh, he's, he's jumping right into the fire really quick here. So we'll have to see how that, short, uh, how that shakes out and how he's able to capitalize on that opportunity and potentially get more such opportunities in the future. I don't have a whole lot to add here, Andy. You can go next. Uh, yeah, I got nothing to add as well. Right. What's our next top topic? We've got a little bit of time here. Well, I've, I've really got nothing uh, nothing additional to add. I think we've run through the vast majority of what we had on deck. So uh, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll punt to Andy if he's got anything. Well, uh, this is one, I guess, from really over the off season, but, you know, certainly it's been announced – um, Shane Van Gisbergen schedule for this year. He's going to run a full Xfinity schedule and a partial Cup schedule. Thoughts on that and, and how you think he'll do this year? Okay, Mike. Well, we did get to see Shane run the ARCA race. He got wrecked out, I think, on lap five. They did end up repairing the car and getting it back out there to turn some laps towards the, the back half of the race. Now, this wasn't really Shane's fault. He got caught up in somebody else's mess, but that's kind of the nature of the ARCA series. Uh, He's going to be running full-time in the Xfinity series fairly well during the Xfinity series race on Monday night. Definitely made some mistakes. He got into some people with some contact, but I think uh, a lot of people on the ever uh, reliable and and, and dispassionate, unbiased, objective 
platform of X, um, they have not been uh, particularly kind to Shane and some of the contacts he got into. And the, the new meme circulating is you got SVG'd, which is kind of a play on, I think it was Clint Boyer back during the, the iRacing days saying that he got bubbled. And the implication is Van Gisberg <laughs> intends to put the bumper to you and turn you whether he needs to or not. Um, it's hard to say after one race, especially when that one race is at Daytona. I wish him the very, very best. I think he came into the season with uh, not Shane himself, but uh, surrounding him came into the season with a ton of expectations around him. Uh, it's it's hard to not get excited about a guy who wins in his very first Cup Series race. But I think a lot of fans need to remember that if you were to make a NASCAR Cup Series race and gift wrap it as the best opportunity to ever be placed in front of a guy, it's hard to do better than the Chicago street race being handed to Shane Van Gisbergen right up his alley with the car he's very familiar with. So just like I say, don't read a lot into Daytona as far as an indicator of what a, a, the rest of the season is going to look like. I don't think Shane Van Gisbergen winning at the Chicago road course last year was a great indicator that he's some sort of a, he's going to be some sort of a breakout star in NASCAR, nothing against the guy, but the learning curve in NASCAR, whether it's the Xfinity series or the cup series is extremely steep. And I think he's going to run into that steep learning curve, especially as we get into the meat of the schedule away from some of these speedway races. I think the, the, the learning curve is going to catch up to Shane Van Gisbergen, and we're going to see him go through some growing pains here. Hopefully he overcomes them and becomes competitive towards the back half of the year. I certainly expect him to be competitive on road courses out of the gate, but at, at the, the styles of racing that he's not as familiar with, namely the um, intermediate ovals and short tracks, I think is really where we're going to have to pay attention and watch his growth at those styles of racing because they are so from what he's used to. So that's probably going to be something that's going to be real interesting to follow for the rest of the year. Yeah, I would agree. I, I, I also agree that uh, Daytona is not the track that you want to judge his performance on. Uh, and, and neither is the street race. I think he did a good job of being in the right place at the right time uh, to get that victory. Um, but I am looking forward to seeing what he does for the rest of the season. He did do um, well at that Chicago street race, but uh, uh, there's a lot of tracks that are coming up that he's going to get his feet wet. And I'm trying to think, I know there was another, this guy was Australian and he came over and raced for a long time and he did pretty well. Um, he, he was good on the road courses and I can't think of his name. Can you think of it, Andy or Mike? Yeah, Marcus Ambrose. There you go, Marcus Ambrose. That's the one. <laughs> Marcus Ambrose uh, uh, did a good job of making that transition. And uh, but he ended up leaving after a while too because he just decided it wasn't what he wanted to do. But yeah, I think uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see what kind of transition if this is going to be for uh, Shane Van Gisbergen and and whether or not he can um, uh, continue to do well on the various different tracks that we're going to be racing at. Now Atlanta is going to be another super speedway type track. Uh, I'm kind of anxious to see what he's going to do on the short track, and and uh, I think he's going to probably do pretty well on the uh, road courses. Uh, but I do I'm anxious to see what he does on the short tracks and the intermediate tracks uh, as they come up on the schedule as well. So uh, I think it's good for the sport to have him uh, come over here and, and give it a shot. So Andy, what are your thoughts? 
Yeah, real quick, you know, I'm a big fan of the guy, just a, a, a good personality. Uh, I like his attitude. Uh, it's obvious that he has talent in the reach of disciplines that he's used to, um, and that was put on full display last year at Chicago. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do. A big fan of the guy. Um, he's in for a big learning curve, you know, that's, and that's been well documented. Obviously, um, racing on ovals is not new to him. I'm sorry, it is new to him, um, you know, and, and it's funny that people are already giving him a hard time because, you know, he's never raced on a super speedway before. He's never drafted until this past weekend, and quite frankly, I think he did a better job than 90-something percent of a lot of these guys you see in the ARCA and the truck series. So, yeah, he made a mistake with Jeb Burton, and he admitted as such on TV after the race, or some interview that I saw anyway, but... You know, Burton got mm-hmm. mad about it, but then again, Burton gets mad about everything. Um, I'll just leave it at that. But, um, you know, the truth of the matter is he's in for a steep learning curve. I, I don't think it's fair to expect him to go out and win a bunch of races and win a championship. That's pretty unrealistic, and there's going to be growing pains. There's going to be some frustrating weeks. But um, the whole point of the schedule this year is to try to learn and, and get better and um I I actually thought he did a pretty good job at Daytona, especially in the Xfinity race overall. I mean, he didn't. I think he outside of the one spin with with Jeb Burton, I, he didn't cause any big wrecks or anything like that. So um, probably not a bad first Super Speedway race, and I, I think he'll only get better. All right, uh, let's go ahead and do our roundtable at this point. Mike, why don't you uh, start us off? Sure, it's going to be Mike underscore Ozell on X, Mike double underscore O on Reddit. Looking forward to the racing this weekend at the World Center of Sports Entertainment, Atlanta Motor Speedway. Uh, the season, I guess, we used to say the season starts after the Daytona 500 because it's so different from the rest of the <laughs> racing that we do throughout the season. But now going to Atlanta, uh, I don't know if we can consider this the start of the season either. We might need to wait for Las Vegas in another week after Atlanta. So looking forward to seeing the action on the track this weekend. Hopefully I'm around and, and able to talk to my good buddy, Andy Lasky, and, and some of the other of y'all if, uh, if you're able to join us in the race day chat this weekend. All right, Andy. CB14 fan on X. And uh, to Mike's point, yes, I should be around for most of, if not all of it, this weekend. Um, Atlanta is always uh, it's interesting. It's entertaining. So looking forward to it. I think finally we have a favorable weather forecast. I think uh, certainly Saturday and Sunday look pretty good. So looking forward to it. And, uh, yeah, it should be a fun weekend. All right. I agree with you guys. I think it's going to be a fun weekend uh, this weekend in Atlanta. Looking forward to the racing, as always. And uh, I'll try to get in on the chat. I, sometimes my brother's with me, so I can't always stay. But uh, we'll look forward to uh, the racing nonetheless. Fan for Racing blog and radio, uh, as well as our website, fanforracing.com. The blog and radio is over at uh, Facebook. We have uh, Fan for Racing site on Twitter. Um, And uh, Brian did a good job uh, co-hosting with us today. He's going to be standing in for... Jay, while he uh, is taking care of some other things for the next uh, 11 weeks now. And um, uh, I'm looking forward to uh, maybe Salsa Gala. I'm hoping Salsa Gala can come back on Monday night um, and co-host Monday night as we review the races at Atlanta Motor Speedway. And uh, I'm definitely looking forward to the entire season. Uh, I know we got a little spirited today. We've been known to do that a few times. Um, and uh, 
I hope you guys understand where I'm coming from, uh, that sometimes when we speculate about things, uh, uh, we take it that NASCAR is doing certain things and they're not necessarily doing some of the things that we're speculating that they might be doing. So we got to be careful about how we present that, and that's where I'm kind of popping in there. So um, I, I uh, appreciate all of our fan for racing crew. Mike, Andy, Jay was on today, Brian, and uh, look forward to seeing Sal on Monday. So with that, guys, I think we're ready to call it a night or a day. Have a good weekend. Talk to you Monday. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VDW Group. No purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC.